Hello, podcast listeners. This is another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. And with me is my co-host. Who, who are, in, Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Matt. Introduce me, because I usually do that, and I didn't. <laughs> uh, well, you're Bird, and I'm Matt, and this is our podcast. Yes, so we, we uh, this is the um, scheduled and canceled and rescheduled Cloverfield episode that we've been trying to do for like, I don't know, whenever, <laughs> whenever the Super Bowl, when, whenever that was, so like a month ago? Yeah, it seems, that seems right, and then stuff happened, and then I got like some sort of plague, and uh so we rescheduled because of that, and now I'm kind of feeling better. Well, that's kinda. good. Well, that's I'm good. I'm toughing it out tonight. Uh, and we uh, we're gonna announce our contest winner because we did hold a listener contest. So we do have the winner of our Kaiju Transmissions listener contest, and Matt, Matt would this was his idea, uh, and it was a hit. As uh, we have 12, 12 uh, con- contestants, uh, which is probably everybody listening. Um, I love the self-deprecation on this podcast because at least we know we can have some fun with it. But you know what? We're also good sports because uh, is, is it as many entries as we would have liked? No. But you know what? A lesser podcast might have just said, you know what? Screw it. We're not even going to do it. But we're going to do it anyway to make sure a real fan can uh have their entry honored anyway and come on and talk to us so matt uh, uh explain to to the people what what you're doing here right so we announced our contest a couple months a couple months ago and your job as a listener was to share one of the random episodes you wanted to share on your social media feed facebook twitter etc and then send us an email with a list of topics you wanted to come on our show and discuss uh discuss so I have in front of me a randomizer. So I've taken all of our entries, uh, entrants, I guess, and I put them in this little randomizer, and I'm going to click the button that says pick a random name, and it will come up with one person's name. So, Bird, you want to give me like a countdown or something, and I'll click the button? Yeah, so uh, uh, one, two, three, four, <laughs> go. Gotcha. Uh, ben Painter. Woo! Insert music here. <laughs> ben Painter has won uh, the contest, so we are excited to have you on. Um, he's got a couple interesting topics, which I'll save because I think it's best we surprise the fans. I do want to give a list of a few topics that stuck out uh, from the people. Everybody submitted really awesome ideas and actually i was thinking you know we would probably get a few entries i also thought we'd get like a couple one-liners like hey my name is such and such and here's my one idea we would get like paragraphs of responses with multiple ideas so i really want to say thank you for your entries your ideas they were great um so we have collecting bootleg movies which is a cool thing if you grew up in the 90s like myself and bird like that, that was a yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, well, there's some movies that even now, like, you'd have to get them through a gray market because oh, they're yeah. not available, yeah. quote-unquote, officially. Uh, video games, uh, the Godzilla continuity of, specifically Showa Godzilla continuity, 
Um, talking about the space ships and weapons of Toho, which is pretty cool. I like the idea. My favorite topic of the group is uh, introducing your kids to Godzilla and where to start, which I think we could expand and just say, hey, if you were going to try to convert a fan, where would you start? But I think looking at your kids specifically, since, you know, I have a son, Bird, you have a kiddo at home at the moment. So, like, we yeah. would both have some ideas about this. Um, Godzilla fan films, American Godzilla comics, uh, Paul Gazzari, which is on our radar, I already know. Uh, Shinya Tsukamoto, who we're both big fans of. He was also in Shin Godzilla. Uh, Garo, Rebirth of Mothra, which uh, I think we have some specific plans for that series. And then, like, Screaming Mad George, Screaming Mad George, excuse me, which... Um, that would be a really cool episode, actually, I think. And then stuff like, you know, Invasion of Ghost Cat, Robot Detective, some crazy movie called Peacock King, which I've never heard or seen, but uh, I looked up some stuff before this, and it looks bizarre and, and something that we would probably both love. So we had some pretty cool ideas. That's just kind of like a, a brief rundown of some of the things we got. Um, yeah, some of it's stuff that we've done already, but we haven't released. I know one person said the Giver... Um, another one at Evangelion. Um, we have stuff for those recorded that we just haven't released yet, because uh, well, we're we're. I we guess, have a bank. We have a bank of yeah. podcasts. We're, hoard, we're podcast hoarders. Yeah. Um. Uh. There were a few other ones. Wild Zero, which is a Japanese, um, zombie movie with the band Guitar Wolf. Um. There were a whole there yeah we had a whole lot of entries so uh so do you have Ben's uh topic list with you here Matt I know um yeah uh so are we going to we going to keep it secret or are we going to just talk about some things that he mentioned Well well uh let's let's so it looks like um for you uh it looks like uh this is going to be mostly between the two of you because you guys have young sons and I have um, more or less a, a stepdaughter and, you know, she's not, she's, she's into, you know, young girls stuff. I try where I can, but <laughs> I imagine this, the, this would be a big, uh, a big thing with the two of you because, uh, Matt, I know your son is, uh, is really starting to get into to some of this stuff, right? Yeah, man. He's uh, he loves Ultraman, Gamera, Godzilla. Uh, he has most recently got non kaiju related, but he's most recently started watching Scooby Doo, which is something I grew up with. I don't know if you ever watched Scooby Doo yeah, as a kiddo. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like that would be a cool topic, and he's got some other ideas here. Um, <clears throat> kind of like who introduced you to Godzilla? So we we've talked about that briefly, kind of in our early episodes. Um, specifically he, he mentions like the early nineties, which is, I mean, that's, that's where we grew up. I mean, I was born in the mid eighties, but like, I don't really remember that. I remember the nineties. That's kind of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So this will be a fun conversation, I think. So Ben, uh, we will be in contact with you shortly and we'll schedule a time in the near future to hook up and you'll be on our show. Yay. So we're here to talk about Cloverfield. That's why we signed on to Skype today and, and wanted to, to have this conversation. So let's move on from uh, shit Godzilla and talk about Cloverfield. All right. A month ago, this would have been a bigger deal, but uh, A, there's life. B, it was it would have been the middle of Ultra Month. And C, uh, Netflix just like shat a Cloverfield movie 
<laughs> Literally he took a dump in the middle, like just dropped yeah, it out in, of the, in the middle of the Super Bowl. So um So uh we're gonna start with the original Cloverfield. We are gonna discuss all three movies. Um uh I think <clears throat> there was initially some debate ab- about whether we wanted to do Cloverfield Lane, and, you know, we decided, you know what, we might as well uh, stick to it. And then uh, Cloverfield par- Paradox happened, and then it was like, well, I guess whether we like it or not, there is, a, however thin, a connection between all these, so whatever, we might as well just go do the whole thing here. <clears throat> but we're going to... Go back in time to 2008 when Cloverfield wasn't just uh, a blanket name for a fake franchise. Um, more on that later. Uh, but when it really meant, no one knew what it meant. Um, so to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Cloverfield, uh, which actually I think it was 10 years last January. Um, first of all, Matt, this movie is over 10 years old. Um, you know what that means? We're old. We're old, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that messed up? Uh, dude, I was, like, just getting out of school, when I say school, college, and I think I lived in Indianapolis at the time when I saw this. That just takes, like, I can't believe it's been 10 years. That's messed up, man. (laughs) Other movies that came out that year, uh, The Dark Knight. Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk. Those are 10 years old now. Well, oh. you know what? It's fitting because I'm still eating this crackling oat brain. I feel like <laughs> I'm 80 years old. Yeah, man. I mean, you're, you're the right audience for that cereal now. Um, so, we're, well, I guess we'll just talk about where um, the, 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 this movie came from. And then um, we're we're gonna we're gonna walk down memory lane a little bit. Um, so as people know now, Cloverfield uh, is produced by J.J. Abrams, who at the time wasn't really a big movies guy. I mean, now I know he's gone on to do um, a couple mission, but uh, uh, he's done the Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible Three. Um, I think he's still producing the Mission Impossibles, um, but of course, Star Wars, Force Awakens, um, Super 8, he's doing Star Wars, Episode 9, I mean, he's really kind of blown up, but, you know, at the time, it was, he was a TV guy, so it was, um, you know, he was known for stuff like Lost, and uh, uh, Felicity, and all these shows, um, and uh, when he had uh, finished Mission Impossible 3, when uh, he, he took his son to japan for the premiere and they were um going to different toy stores and stuff and he uh was thought it was really interesting that there were still i mean 2008 that's four years after final wars and there were still godzilla toys and godzilla merchandise everywhere and he um he just thought you know it's so cool that japan has this monster that really connects with their culture and um he said, you know, aside from, you know, King Kong, which is kind of a different character, you know, Kong is a little bit more uh, humanized, I think, generally. And he said, you know, America doesn't really have a monster like that right now. And he thought it was about time the U.S. of A. needed a, a new monster. Now, uh, 
<clears throat> the way this movie was advertised, and really all three of these movies were advertised, were really interesting. Um, so there was just a trailer that was just kind of mysteriously dropped. It didn't have a name attached to it. It was just uh, some some people at a party, and then there's an explosion, and the Statue of Liberty's head comes flying and lands in the middle of the street. And then there was just the date, you know, the release date for the movie. One, I think 18, maybe it's not 18, but it was January, I think, 18th, 2008. And that was it. And then for months after... Everyone was like, what is this? And, and you know, everyone really seemed stuck on the idea that it was a teaser for something that was going to be a movie version of something we'd already seen. And, that, and that, that was every, I mean, people were like, is it Godzilla? Is it a Power Rangers? Is it Voltron? Is it... Um, a giant lion. You remember that? Yeah. Like a lion. And yeah, there, it, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's the guy in the trailer that says, it's alive. And everyone's like, oh, no, he said it's a lion. What? Well, that guy is actually, I believe, J.J. Abrams. It's either Abrams or Reeves. One of the two basically recorded that line, and it was so muffled that people mistook it for a lion. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, and uh, I remember one of the really popular ones was actually Cthulhu. Oh, this is a Cthulhu movie. This is Lovecraftian. <laughs> Why did was that, was that really popular? I don't remember that one as much as the others, but could you imagine, like, if that were the monster? <laughs> People see him. Uh, the thing was, like, in, I mean, you, we saw it on all the, the forums at the time. People were going crazy. And I, I remember saying to people, like, what if it's just its own thing? Why does it have to be? Why is everyone so convinced it's something that we've seen? Why, what if it's just its own movie? Um and then, you know, slowly little, like, insider leaks uh, would start to come out. Oh, it's, um, it's a found-footage monster movie in the style of Blair Witch Project, uh, but with a monster. And then um, the, work, one of the, the working title for it that caught on was, you know, mo- when movies shoot, they shoot under a fake title just to, you know, keep people away. It happens with every movie. Um, like, The Dark Knight was called Rory's First Kiss. Um, Godzilla 2014 was called Nautilus. So, I mean, Star Wars, one of the most famous ones, it was called Blue Harvest. Um, So, yeah, it's just to kind of, like, you know, keep the fanfare away. And this one was Cloverfield. And the name online, you know, once someone got wind of it, maybe an extra someone, who knows, um, it it just stuck. Everyone was the and it it didn't it it wasn't uh what is the January eighteenth movie? It was uh, what is Cloverfield? Is Cloverfield this? So it, it it just became commonly known on social media as Cloverfield. So they were just like, you know what? It's Cloverfield, which I believe was the name of the street that um. Was it the 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 yeah. exit that JJ would get off to? It, it's uh, a street to, by around the production. I don't know where, but like where it was in conjunction to where they were filming. But it was definitely a street involved in the production. Yeah, I, I think it's the street, the exit that JJ would get off of to go to work or something. Um, and but yeah, and the, and then from there, there's all this viral marketing stuff, fake websites, fake uh, YouTube videos and clips. Um, and this movie came at a really interesting time. I think YouTube came out in 2005 or 2006. 
So this is like right when YouTube is getting big. Um, and it's also still, a f oh, it's only a few years after September 11th. So um, there's things about this movie and in this movie that are very timely for the time period of 2008. Um, and we'll discuss that. But um, uh, but yeah, man, when you, when you first saw that trailer, I remember it was attached to Transformers, the first one, which yep, is also terrible. Uh, um, yeah, it was all well, downhill for Transformers after that, I think, <laughs> the most part. <laughs> um, did you have any, I mean, I kind of said, like, you know, I, I never really thought it was something specific. Did you, what was your takeaway from seeing that trailer? Because that was, it just kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, much like any other giant monster fan, I was excited and stoked and and i just i wanted to see the creature more than anything and i i think everyone um was probably caught up in the hype and the the viral marketing and i remember people were posting like snippets trying to hack the websites like you know because slusho and um Taguato or whatever that company's called like they were they were finding all this stuff on these websites and posting it people were having these massive discussions about it i also remember some of the supposed art that came out of it like there was that giant whale creature yeah, yeah, that was, remember that thing yeah um, all these people posting like oh this is leaked concept art and yeah it was a while it was a pretty wild ride and it was really only a few months but it was it was pretty crazy I, yeah, it was very it was very intense. Um, I, I really dug the Statue of Liberty head, uh, of course. Like, I, I mean, I was just excited for the movie, and as curious as anybody else would be about the design of the creature, because that's one thing I always love is is seeing a giant monster for the first time. Like, what is this thing going to look like? What are its mannerisms? Like, that's that's stuff that I think is pretty interesting, or at least it can be if done right. So, having a discussion about like, hey, oh, is this thing a giant whale? Well, that sounds kind of uh, bizarre to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the giant whale talk was definitely interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it was, it was such a crazy few months and then the movie came out. Um, and you know, this isn't, I don't think it's going to be very contentious between us, but it is going to. It is interesting that um, this movie, uh, the reaction to it is it's a little bit like how something like Shin Godzilla is, where like people either love it or they hate it, and it's like there's not much in between. Um, we'll we'll tell everyone like what camp we fall into, but there's a, probably a lot of people that are going to be listening and that are going to be like. Really, guys, <laughs> but um, but that's okay. You know, we're not here to tell anyone that they're wrong or anything. We're just here to to talk movies. But um, but yeah, the this movie really kind of has a ton of fans, but a lot of people that are 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 just you know didn't care for it from day one, and you know haven't uh, been talked into it with any of these i guess the the rebranding of the cloverfield name i'll, I'll call it um <clears throat> um well is, is now a good time to talk about the synopsis well, yeah like, yeah the, this is well, well yeah we'll we'll get into the movie itself um and after that we, we we're gonna go back and talk about some of the viral marketing um stuff um and and some other things and uh 
and some trivia pieces. So, uh, Matt, why don't you give us a, a quick plot rundown uh, of Cloverfield? Well, the story revolves around, as we mentioned, a found footage uh, tape. It's basically uh, a government tape that you're, you're assuming you're watching for whatever reason. Um, it opens up with our main character, uh, Rob Hawkins, and we learn that he basically had gone on a date um, with – what is it? Is it Beth? Is that, is mm-hmm. that Yeah. Yeah. So he goes on a date with Beth. Um, the date goes well. They, you know, they sleep together. And it looks like a very kind of sweet relationship in the making. And then it cuts into some people like walking down the street. And we learn that Rob is actually moving to Japan uh, as a taking a new job or whatever. I think he's the vice president of some company. Um, And basically they're throwing a huge surprise party for him. And, you know, you have these main cast of characters. T.J. Miller makes an appearance as HUD. HUD is the guy. Heads up display, obviously, is what that's referencing for his name. But HUD is the guy that is the majority of the time he's the guy filming. So he takes the camera within the first, you know, 15 minutes of the movie. And he's filming people as they're saying their goodbyes to Rob. Um, we learn that Beth uh, comes to the party with a some new guy. And we basically learn the backstory between Rob and Beth is that Rob has always kind of been in love with this girl. They finally went on a date. It went really well. But now he's got to go to Japan. And so when she shows up with this other guy, um, he's pretty upset about it. Anyway, Beth ends up leaving. About five minutes after she leaves, we have the first explosion. So everybody goes up to the roof of this apartment building. Uh, That's when um, you see like an explosion way out in the city. You can't really tell what's going on. We see that there's been on the news, there's like an oil tanker that's been overturned. So people go out down to the the, the street level at some point because there's more explosions. And that's when you have the Statue of Liberty head thrown a pretty huge distance and it lands right in front of their building. Later on, as they're trying to figure out what happened, you see the monster, but very much obscured, moving from building to building. I think it knocks down the Chrysler, ta- the Chrysler building at one point. Um, and after that happens, you get a bunch of smoke and like soot and ash, the same way that we saw during the 9-11 attacks when the Twin Towers fell. Um, and it covers a bunch of people. In the meantime, we know that HUD has an infatuation with Lizzie Kaplan's character, Marlena, and he's kind of like creepily talking to her. Well, she was running from the building when the when the Chrysler uh, Tower fell, and when that happened, um, she was kind of caught in the debris, and she's very confused, and she's sitting on the side of the road covered in like soot and stuff. And so everybody's trying to figure out where to go. Then there's like this announcement, everybody uh, leave via the bridge. Um, so – they're leaving the bridge. The monster attacks. Uh, Rob's brother, Jason, is killed. Um, so they have to go back to the main city to get away from that. And then basically from that point on, you get stuff like um, these parasites attacking people. And, you know, Marlena gets bitten by one and she explodes. Uh, the military can't stop the monster. Um, eventually, Rob and a few others like uh, Lily escapes on a helicopter by herself she is, by the way, the only person where her fate is left – I mean, well, there's a couple people that are left ambiguous, but, but Lily's not – it's not determined whether or not she lives or dies. She escapes in a helicopter. Rob and, a few, and HUD and Beth get on a helicopter. Um, and in the meantime, the whole story is Rob has to get to Beth's apartment building or her father's apartment building to rescue her because she got caught in the monster attack at some point, and she's been, like, impaled by one of these rods. So they save her. They get to a helicopter. As they're leaving the city and being evacuated by the military, uh, the monster attacks and knocks out their helicopter. 
it attacks and kills Rob and like bites him in half. And then the military uh, does hammer down protocol, which is basically they're going to carpet bomb the entire city and level literally everything. And Rob and Beth say kind of an emotional goodbye on camera. Um, and then we're kind of left their fate is left very ambiguous because we hear monster like monster roars in the background explosions and then they're hiding under this like tunnel and that's it with an explosion and that's kind of how the movie ends yeah (laughs) (laughs) so anyway uh bird i mean what 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 are your initial thoughts about the film um well uh this movie i think really I mean, there was a combination of movies. There was this one, um, Wreck, um, Diary of the Dead, the Romero film, all kind of hit at the same time, and it seems like it's died down, um, but for a good six years, seven years or so, it was like found footage movies up the ass. Now, when this movie came out, it was like you had Blair Witch Project, and you had Cannibal Holocaust, and you had a couple others, but that's it. So the idea of a found footage monster movie, a found footage Godzilla type movie was really um at the time actually I think uh, a a very fresh kind of approach to to making a movie like this. Now me being a big fan of, you know, I I I see everything, you know, no matter how how crappy um and I've seen great found footage movies, I've seen bad found footage movies. And your mileage is going to vary on this one, and probably all of them. With found footage, they if you when you decide to make a found footage movie, you're automatically walking into the filming with a handicap, and that's your own. Your movie is literally only footage that someone is shooting. How do you develop characters and write dialogue scenes through that? And I don't know if I've seen one that succeeded fully, um, this movie included. And so um, I kind of think of found footage movies as kind of these, you know, kind of thrill rides, apartment, uh, amusement park rides. You know, if you go to Universal Studios and you go on, I'm dating myself here because I don't even think it's around anymore, but the 3D Back to the Future ride, and it's like, okay, you're stuck with these characters and you go through this big adventure and then you're done that's kind of how i think of found footage movies they the, by design almost can't accomplish things that other movies um need to so you you really need to make them entertaining and you need to make the pay, them fast paced and you really need to make them memorable knowing that you're not gonna have much of a chance to develop the characters so all that being said uh when i saw this movie i really liked it i've watched it many times over the years um and it's one that uh i just watched again for this podcast and for me it still holds up um and it being a found footage movie there's always a few tropes that can be irritating one is why would anyone in their right mind be filming this (laughs) um you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say in in today's world, like 2018, oh, yeah. everybody would be filming yeah, this. Yeah, um, The second is, yeah, you know, you're you're not gonna be able to spend a lot of intimate time with these characters. Um, and then the third is, um, 
you know, I think this movie's pretty good with it. But every now and then in found footage movies, there'll be a shot where it's like, hey, who's filming that? How is that being filmed? I, I think this movie is actually okay with that. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoy this movie. Um, for me, uh, I was immediately struck by what is, is definitely intentional parables to 9-11 and how we react in a crisis. I mean... At the time, maybe it was maybe it was a little less believable. But now, Matt, like you said, I mean, 2018, I almost can buy that every <laughs> every part of this movie Dude, would be filmed by people by would would film their own death um, as it was happening. You know, I everybody remember, had a cell phone. <laughs> I remember when the trailer came out, and there's the scene where the, the 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 Statue of Liberty head rolls down the street, and people are just standing there taking pictures of it on their phone. And I remember some of the reaction to that was like, why would they just be standing there when that happened? And it's like, did you forget about 9-11? Do you know how, do you remember, Matt, do you remember how many people's crappy phone videos or camcorder videos we had of that, of, of the towers, everything from the towers falling to people jumping out windows to, um, you know, the view on the street where, you know, the, it, it, the, a crowd of people is literally like engulfed by a cloud of dust and, or people that are in like a, a, a supermarket and like, there's just giant dust clouds rolling through the, like you see like from inside a store window, like just the street just get flooded in dust like do you remember how they those videos were everywhere and this is before youtube we were seeing those yeah i mean you can see a lot of the 9-11 footage uh via the interwebs and some stuff that's uh extremely harrowing if you if you look hard enough and actually there's a netflix what is it the falling man which i watched and that's really hard to watch but it, it it you know basically you look at the technology that was used and there are a lot of people like there's footage of basically people at the base of the towers looking up and you see like papers and the fires and like I, I mean it, it it's exactly what happened now like it's like when you're driving in traffic and you see an accident what do people do well they do the whole what they call rubbernecking thing where they slow down to a snail's pace and they look over their shoulder to see what's going on we're naturally curious about things especially like tragedy for whatever reason and uh i mean this this movie captures that particular moment perfectly and as you mentioned the the whole thing with you know the 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 ash and the soot and like the debris from the building when it falls like that's exactly what happened during 9-11 you saw people get just covered in smoke and like they're they're you know they had to run for cover and basically it was so dark in places if you if you hit inside a building and that cloud of debris went past your building like it was pitch black at that point yeah and you see that in this film and i think it does a really good job of of capturing that I thought that was all very effective, and I think the movie, um, I mean, things probably kick off around the 15-minute mark, but it's like, you know, some people are like, oh my god, just, you know, these people are so boring, just get it over with, but uh, any whenever I start to feel that way, every time I watch it, it's like the action kicks in right at the right moment, um... So while the characters don't leave much to be desired, I do think that they did their best, and it's more than most found footage movies even try. Um, so uh, Matt Reeves, who, by the way, went on to to make the um, the second and third of the new Planet of the Apes movies, which are great, and he's going to do the next Batman, supposedly. Um, he did the Let 
the right one in remake which i thought was pretty decent um but before this i think uh abrams knew him from some tv stuff and i think other than that he made like some romantic comedy with david schwimmer and gwyneth paltrow um so he was kind of fresh um but uh yeah i think he's really talented and i think this is probably the first time i noticed and then uh drew goddard who wrote it um i mean he made cabin in the woods um he did a lot of stuff with the first season of daredevil so i mean that's another guy who started here um and and went on to be successful but their their way of trying to give us more of a look into these characters is um the idea is the tape they're they're using they're taping over uh previous events so you know you see um a lot of robin beth's relationship just in these little uh moments that come kind of peppered throughout the movie and that kind of gives you a little more backstory into the characters and while um you know i mean uh, that it that i think that was a really fun kind of approach to to trying to flesh flesh out characters in a, a format that doesn't lend itself to it um the monster especially at the time was really cool looking um since then uh the designer neville page he's been hired to make a billion movie monsters that all look like the cloverfield monster but at the <laughs> time um it was a really cool looking design this thing with these super skinny legs and has features of you know almost like an ape um and you know he he would lean back on that for a lot of movies like cowboys and aliens and star trek and a whole bunch of stuff but uh clover as he's been nicknamed i think is actually a a, a really interesting and unique design um and then of course i i really think the kind of horror scenes with the little uh skin lice that fall off of him um probably inspired by godzilla in 1984 um but those scenes are are really fun and i th- i think the movie does a good job of keeping the tension up of having atmosphere um of really making you feel like you're in the middle of it um and like i said found footage movies they're they're going to sacrifice character and rich kind of storytelling for giving you that roller coaster kind of uh kind of film um so you know it's it's problems there i you know i'm not saying they're not issues with the movie but they're ones that i can excuse because i think it it works within its own limitations pretty well um things i don't like are i think some of the dialogue is pretty bad, bad. bad. It's, especially <laughs> especially with the tj miller character um with yeah with hud is not hud not yeah bad. who uh this was his first at like acting gig i know he was a comedian and later he would be a successful comedic actor and alleged rapist um <laughs> <laughs> but uh i shouldn't you know, laugh at that but your delivery was very tj miller-esque <laughs> yeah he's one of those guys now um but uh you know i i i wasn't a fan 
with this movie, I wasn't a fan after that, and now I'm not. I'm really not a fan <laughs> with the rape allegations. But yeah, he <sighs> he never did it for me. All the, dating all the way back to this movie, and I think his delivery is bad too. The other actors are pretty decent. Um, not the best, but believable. I mean, Lizzie Kaplan is always uh, a pleasure. I mean, she's in a lot of stuff, a lot of TV and movies. And, um, you know, the, the guy that plays Rob and his brother, I mean, they're not uh, Oscar winners, but, you know, they're they're doing a, a, you know, a decent enough job of keeping things grounded. And then um, Odette Annabelle, who plays um, Beth, you know, she's she's not not too bad again serviceable for this kind of movie and you know she's popped up in a lot of stuff since um she's actually the villain on this season of supergirl um and and she's not bad there but yeah it's it's mostly tj miller his deliveries are bad his jokes don't really land there's a lot of them and maybe there i don't know there's maybe one or two that i i get kind of a brief chuckle out of and then yeah, and then every now and then there's a dialogue scene that seems so kind of unnatural that it kind of pulls you out of the realism that that is grounding the movie. The one that I know a lot of people that actually like this part, but the one where uh, they're in the subway and HUD mentions Superman, she stops and she she says, "Oh my god!" Like sarcastically, yeah. you know who Superman I- is? Have you heard of Garfield? <laughs> I just think that's just a bizarre reference. Was Garfield even? Is they, first of all, do they still write Garfield? I don't. I don't know. But is that the year that because there was that live action Garfield film? Did that come out that then? Or maybe like, I don't know. I just. Film? I just feel like the, that was such a. I mean, even if it did, and even if the newspaper strip was still going on then, it might even still be going on now. It just felt like that Garf in two thousand eight Garfield as a character was so f- far past its pop culture heyday that you know she couldn't have said you know you've never heard of you know Batman or. <laughs> or something like I don't know. It's just a very Garfield, bizarre. Garfield the movie came out in two thousand four. Maybe it felt like a relevant reference. I don't, I, know. I don't know. Those movies, nobody some... saw those movies when they came out. I... I'm looking at the pictures of this movie and of Garfield. That is, and uh, it looks. I never watched that, but it lo- doesn't look good. No, it's ba- it's <laughs> notoriously bad. But yeah, it's 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 very strange. I mean, you'd think she could say like, "Have you ever heard of Big Bird?" I mean, there's so many characters that. I don't know. I think it would make that would make a lot more sense than Garfield. It's very, I don't know. That always kind of pulls me out. And HUD in general, kind yeah, of. Yeah, HUD is but. HUD is the. I, I think you you really hit the nail on the head with stuff that I'm just going to kind of echo briefly. And I, I think that if you're going to dislike this movie, I think there's probably three reasons. I think one is that the Cloverfield monster may just not be your stick, and I I know that's a very common complaint from the haters of this film. Um, the other one is is going to be the found footage scheme. I mean, either it some people were bothered by it. There was pretty widespread reports about you know motion sickness in the theater. Did um, um, my theater actually had uh, in front of the ticket booth? I think there's a picture on the Wikipedia page uh, of one of these. But my theater had on on the ticket booth um, a sign that said the the film Cloverfield. A lot of uh, may cause motion sickness or whatever. I I remember something to that effect. Actually, my my my, uh, my friend who I saw this with, he had to leave the theater for like five or ten minutes because mm-hmm. it was actually bothering him. So I think the found footage idea just may not stick with everybody. And I also think that 
it, it, you know, obviously watching it, if it made you sick, you're probably going to have a negative memory of the film in general. But I, then the last thing I'm going to say is, you know, the character work, right? Some of the characters I actually think are, as you said, they're very serviceable. The found footage idea doesn't lend itself to a ton of in-depth character development. But HUD is going to be the guy that, like, he might really bother you. And, I, you know, I, find my, I found myself this last time I watched it, like, his jokes aren't good. He's really annoying. He often borders on creepy. He's super awkward because he's all the time hitting on uh, Marlena, which is Lizzie Kaplan's character. Um, and then he, he, as they're walking up the stairs when they're trying to rescue Beth, and they're they're like go, they basically have to, they have to scale one building to jump onto the roof of another building that's like kind of collapsed sideways onto it. He's giving all these ideas about like you know fan theories about. Uh, well, supposed fan theories, I guess, about like where the monster came from, and they make references to like aliens or government conspiracy. Which, I mean, think about that in terms of what we talked about earlier with 9/11, where there's a lot of like conspiracy stuff behind that. So I thought that was an interesting touch, but coming from HUD, it is just kind of annoying. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really there with that scene. I actually, and I actually like that scene because um, I remember when the movie came out everyone was so mad that they didn't explain what the monster was and i i thought that scene was kind of a fun way for the movie to tell the audience like stop thinking about it It literally doesn't matter um it's the same yeah it's the same thing with like you know like in night of the living dead they're not gonna they don't come out they never say what causes the zombies you know you just believe it and you know the point behind that was always it doesn't matter the point is there are zombies these characters need to survive and if and especially from the point of view of these characters um think of it this way these characters are essentially any godzilla movie you watch you see the the crowd scenes with the extras running this movie is what is what what are those characters what are those extras going through in the middle of all this you think those characters are going to stop in in the middle of that situation to hear someone explain to the like run into a scientist that say well you're being attacked by rodan and he's a a, a prehistoric no like that's so I, yeah. I, I so i thought that was uh, that's that was kind of on the sillier side of the complaints but well, yeah with the the stuff with hud doesn't land most of the time i can stand him because fortunately most of his dialogue is almost like almost narration but yeah when they really try to break the tension with a joke nine out of ten times it's gonna be (laughs) like eh, you know yeah i mean well the good thing is you don't have to look at his face all the time like he's the guy shooting the camera right so like i think one of the things that i disliked about him initially is when you see him on the like face to face on camera he doesn't seem that believable and thankfully, since he's just narrating scenes at times, like you don't have to deal with that part. Because, like you know, when you watch a bad movie, like the actor has no idea. You can tell the, they're it, yeah. You can. Well, you, it's, it's basically us podcasting, right? It's just amateur. It's just amateurism. It's it's like I, I don't know. I think that saves the film in some ways. Um, which we, we should probably talk about some stuff we did like because I like the monster myself. I like the monster um, a lot, and and I'm not even one of those. I wish they showed the monster more, guys. I, I am th- not either. I think we get the perfect amount for a found footage movie. We get a few uh, full body shots of the monster that don't last long, and other than that, we get little quick glimpses. And I think that if they showed too much of it, I think it would pull you out of the movie's environment. I agree, and I also think the build-up 
to the the climax and especially like when the stealth bomber is coming in and dropping bombs on its back like that that shot is awesome because that's the first time you really get a full like extended view of the monster that isn't fairly quick like you get other quick hits that are pretty cool you get the time when he's like stepping over the subway and when he's walking down the street as they're in beth's building but the scene with the stealth bomber and then of course the ending um really do a great job of kind of having that payoff that you want when it that's been building up to the entire time and it works really well another thing i'll say is i feel like it's this movie's kind of like jared leto in in uh blade runner 2049 or whatever and we were talking about this and i forget who made this comment exactly jared leto doesn't overstay his welcome in that film it's kind of like just the right amount and that's how this movie's runtime is with the found footage film it's like if that that scheme can really wear thin on people and at like an hour and 23 minutes, which like the last 10 minutes is actually just a credit. So it's really an hour and 13 minutes. I think it's a perfect length because it's not too long and it's certainly not too short. It kind of feels like just the right right amount of, of movie, in my opinion. It's the perfect length. And I think that once it gets going, it really does a good job of not, you know, not stopping and, you know, boring people too much um and it does like if i had a complaint I, I think the the beginning could be trimmed a tiny bit like the party scene i understand it's there for intro purposes for character mm-hmm. work but like d- did i thought some of that went on a bit long dude i will tell you though that party is seriously like every single party i'd ever been to in my 20s like I don't, I, I don't drink, so I'm usually the sober guy. So usually I have to like deal with all of it. But like slowly through the night, more people are falling asleep on the couch, and <laughs> like there's and, and, and there's all there was every time any party I would ever go to, there's always one guy who's a little tipsy and he's having an emotional breakdown, and then me and a couple of my other friends have to walk outside with him and calm him down, and like this movie was like. That that is every literally every party <laughs> I've ever yeah, been. Yeah, I mean, to. I I can't disagree with that. It's always like, well, who's sleeping with whom, and then they're talking behind each other's back, and yeah, they're trying and then, to. Like, and then, there's always that drama. Yeah, yeah, and then <laughs> and then you know the one guy that's like you know someone starts to cry or something, and then like uh, you and two or three other people have to be like like sit them down outside and have a pep talk with them. Um. Yeah, you're not wrong. I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> That's every party ever. Um, uh, you know, another thing. Uh, speaking of the characters, um, some people I think have a hard time buying the journey of the characters, but I never did. You know, and and of course that being the crux of the plot, Rob needs to get back to the girl he loves because she is literally pinned to the ground with you know on a a metal beam you know and i i saw a lot of people like oh you know why wouldn't you just get the hell out of the city i don't care who who's who it is you know i mean (laughs) and i mean my rebuttal to that was always like his have you ever loved someone i mean if whether or not you buy the character's relationship that's up to you that's whatever but i i i i think Anyone who's ever been in a relationship, a loving relationship, could relate to the idea of, you know, in the middle of a crisis like this, you hear that, you know, the the person you love is literally, like, left for dead, essentially. <laughs> 
Well, also, they're trying to get Rob to abandon his quest to save her, and he's like, basically, F you, I'm going to go do it anyway. Yeah, but I mean, I, 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 thought, that, I, I thought that was believable. I mean, because I would do that. I'm sure you would do that. Well, of course. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, w- listen, you know, what, you know what's sad is, like, with all this, God, I even hate to bring it up, but, like, we, we, my wife and I have talked about horror scenarios and what we would do in relation to, like, okay, if Landon is with you, just get out of the building if something was, like, a terrorist shooting or something. Like, we've we've had those conversations because that's the world we live in, and so, like— I totally understand the idea of him wanting to go back to this girl, which, by the way, like, it's not like he's they, they explain it in the film to where he's had a thing for Beth. Since they, they've been childhood friends and like since grade school. And he's always had a thing for this girl. And it's finally happening. But it just kind of happens at the wrong time. Yeah. And so now after losing his brother, by the way, like he's basically going to go back and save her. And he doesn't do it and drag other people with him. He's not begging for help. He they encourages his follow. friends to, like, go. Yeah. Like, so it's not <laughs> I mean I guess if you're going to quip about anything you might say well it seems like those two move too fast but it's certainly implied and even outright stated that like they have a history that's much deeper than the one date it's yeah, not like yeah. right right um yeah and he, you know Rob he he does have a that guy moment you know when she brings uh, the one guy to to the party and you're just like man why you got to be that guy but you know, I I, I I do think um I think he I think it's a valid uh uh story that he has that he wants to go and do that. Um <clears throat> Well he there's also some dialogue where he basically says they're like they're basically like, Why do you want to go save her? And he says, Well, she doesn't know that I love her. That's essentially what he says. I'm paraphrasing, but like that's essentially the conversation that they have. And like, you know, if you ever go through that with somebody where you're trying to tell them I love you for the first time, like, okay, it just happens to be this is captured on film. And I, I mean, I thought it was believable. It's not overly sappy. It felt, I mean, it felt genuine. Um, so I mean, like, it's not. I hate to say like Spielbergian, but like, you know how Spielberg is like kind of interjecting a lot of that emotion into his later like his newer films like mm-hmm. it's not like that kind of sap right all. right yeah no i i agree with you um uh yeah i mean i i think that um a lot of the movie's handicaps are almost things that are by design with the found footage format that are almost nearly impossible to get get through and i think this movie attempts to um overcome a lot of that and i think for the most part it does a decent job um uh my favorite scene is probably when they get stuck in like a crossfire like uh like characters on different sides of the street while the military is shooting at the monster um i think that scene is really well done um and uh i i like the um the little monsters too uh i think those those monsters give the movie almost like more of a horror movie kind of feel at times well they give it more weight because as they're going through buildings like you don't know it's not just a threat outside there's also a threat of okay these things are everywhere and we know it and then on top of that I think one of the better, like maybe the second, my second favorite scene is actually Lizzie Kaplan's character, like blowing up. Yeah. 
because she got bit by the parasite. I think the parasites lend it some, uh, like, a, kind of like, I mean, it's just a second threat that's around the corner, and you're not expecting it. So it does another a great job of, okay, we can't show you the monster, but we're going to show you these other things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and I remember after I saw it, I was like, I mean, this is before Legendary Pictures, Monsterverse, before Pacific Rim. This is before all that stuff, this kind of, you know, pseudo, you know, renaissance we're having. And I, I remember thinking, like, not only was that a in- really interesting approach to doing a big, like, kaiju spectacle, but I was also very happy that as far as Western giant monster movies go... This one really embraced the Japanese roots of the genre. The monster isn't just able to be killed. It 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 can withstand bombs and um you know and there's there's clear um uh parallels to Gojira and you know I I think the original Godzilla especially I th- I think was really in the back of everybody's mind. Uh, when they were crafting this and making it, you know, uh, a monster movie for the post-9-11 world. Um, And, of course, the ending credits music by Michael Giacchino is extremely Ifukube-esque, which is the the track Roar, which is the overture from Cloverfield. Um, And this is the first time I really felt like an American production was really made to uh, be be a little bit more, um, I guess, that, that revered the Japanese movies a lot, you know, rather than, you know, the American... 50s b movies although i mean you know there's some of that but this really felt like they were really trying to pay respect to what the japanese movies were doing and i don't know at the time especially that was very refreshing yeah and what you mentioned the the ending credits i mean it's outright stated like that was an homage to akira fukube's work and you can as you mentioned clearly hear that plus the footsteps were obviously a tribute to right at the beginning and and that is a michael giacchino thing uh he's a good composer but he he's very good at like emulating other composers whether it's john williams or, or whoever um and he's he's a big kaiju geek I mean, I listened to a whole podcast that he did where he talked about the one the the Pigmon episode of Ultraman for like an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> Pigmon's awesome. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, and and I really like that track too, I, I, Matt. I know you're a little more on the fence with that particular composer, but what what do you think about that track? No, that track's awesome. I mean, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, and I remember specifically that track because. When uh, 2014 Godzilla, they were talking about the potential composers, like everybody wanted him specifically. One of the reasons was because of that track. Yeah, no, it's 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 a good it's it's a really good piece. Um, Okay, I mean, anything else on the review front that you want to discuss about Cloverfield? Uh, We we both like the movie. We both uh, like the monsters. 
Um, we have. Yeah, I want to. I mean, like, I guess the thing about one thing I want to mention about the monster design itself is I really dig the otherworldliness of the monster because, like, it it embraces the idea of this thing came from somewhere and we can't explain it, and like the design itself is like you can't tell where the the shoulders are and like the way that it walks. It has joints in the wrong spots and stuff, and it, it's it's very otherworldly and alien feeling. And I think that suits the movie really well because like you're really taken back, taken aback by when you see it and you see it move because it's like, well, okay, that thing shouldn't be able to do what it's doing right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, other than that, that's kind of my last thought. I mean, you were ready to, uh, to rate it. Yeah. So how many, uh, exploding Lizzie Kaplan's do you give? Dude, that's exactly what I was going (laughs) to pick for, uh, (laughs) exploding Lizzie. Uh, I was torn between a three and a half and a four. I'm going to go three and a half. I think this movie succeeds way more than it fails. And we kind of listed both. And I, I, I enjoy it. I don't understand the, uh, some of the hatred, especially from like Kaiju fans. I mean, I, I just, I don't get it. Um, this is a different kind of film. Yes. But it offers something new. And I think for the most part, refreshing. Well, it's, it's um, one of those things where people are like, well, I would have liked it if it wasn't a found footage movie. And it's like, so you would have liked it if it was like literally any other <laughs> giant monster movie. I mean, it's okay if you don't like the found footage thing, but don't say you don't like it because of the one unique thing that it is. Uh, you know, it's the same with what just happened with Colossal. Well, it it didn't it wasn't the monster versus monster thing and it's like okay, if that's what you want, that's one thing. If you don't like the movie, that's one thing, but I mean, you know, don't put it down because it's not you know, I mean, you you want a, a right, a you know, monster on the loose movie. I have that movie. I have three dozen. <laughs> yeah, I have three dozen copies of that movie. If I want to go with something a little different, I'll pop in Cloverfield. I or... really think that like it, it's a it's a problem of sort of misfired expectations. You go in not think you, you go in expecting one thing and having your hopes pin it's going to pin up on it being that thing that you want. And it comes out totally different, and so that shatters your expectations. And that's what happened with, like, um, Colossal, as you mentioned. Like, people wanted a monster film, but it, it's really not a monster film. It is, but that's not at the forefront. It's something totally different. Yeah. And people were upset by that. I don't really get that either, by the way. But Yeah, I mean, you, you can not like it, sure, but, I mean... Oh, it didn't have 25 minutes of monsters smashing buildings. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, if... If you don't like it, that's fine, but don't like it because it's not the it's not what you have a hundred copies of already. You already have that movie, <laughs> <laughs> and all of its sequels, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so, what, what would you rate this? Uh, I'm gonna do a four. Um, it's one of those things where some of the dialogue and definitely T.J. Miller um, aren't aren't the best, but. I mean, having seen a lot of found footage movies that don't even try, I mean, this movie tries where a lot of them fail, and it succeeds where a lot of them fail, and um, some of the problems with it, I think, are inherent to that format, that, that kind of cinema verite subgenre. Um, so I try not to put too much on it, because it's like, okay, you know, if i i know what i know what its handicaps are um and then you know but but that aside there's some things that could be better and um but uh, it's always a satisfying watch and it's always a quick watch it's nice and short 
Um, and I, I like that it does something uh, different with, with the genre. So I, I, I really like it every time I, I see it. And um, so I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm right there with you. So, I mean, it's it's a solid film. And I, I would recommend this. I mean, this is a movie that I think you can show most people. And I think you're in for a, a decent time. And it's short. I think the brevity of the film really um, enhances the, like, the ability for audiences to enjoy it because it is so short. So Yeah. Um, so I have some uh, fun trivia pieces I'm going to go over. And then I'm going to toss it back to you for something. So um, at random moments of the movie, there's three. There are subliminal, like, quick one or two frames, blink and you mi- literally blink and you will miss it, um, stills from classic giant monster movies. We're talking about how this is a movie that respects its roots. Um, coinc- not coincidentally, um, uh, these are all movies that are owned by Warner Brothers, so maybe, the- I don't know, this is a Paramount movie, so I don't know, I don't know how that works, but... Um, there, uh, uh, are flashes of King Kong, the original, uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, and Them. Um, and I mean, you can look up online where exactly you would pause the movie to see those frames of footage. So, I mean, you can do that if you want, but that's pretty cool. Um, also the Statue of Liberty decapitation was inspired by the awesome classic poster for John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Um, great movie by the way yeah um the filmmakers have said the the monster in this is actually a baby who is lost and kind of panicking like a um uh suffering from some kind of separation anxiety perhaps from its parent um uh also um during filming a lot of the uh scenes where people had a lot of dialogue they were actually filmed by the actor um for scenes filmed by the camera crew, they would actually wear whatever kind of pants or shoes or whatever that that character filming at the time was wearing. Um, and during those scenes, you know, to deliver dialogue and stuff like that, the actor would follow closely behind the cameraman. Um, and also, um, the uh, uh, the broadcast overheard on the military's helicopter radio. Um, and you know, stuff like the air raid sirens, um, uh, you know, that are signaling the, the bombing mentioned earlier in the movie. Those were ideas that Steven Spielberg had after he watched a rough cut of the movie. Um, so yeah, there's some fun trivia. Another thing, um, again, we're, we're, Japanese roots, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the movie actually had a prequel manga uh, that was published only in Japan and Japanese, although fan translations are out there and not too hard to find. Um, and it was uh, um, something that was produced and approved by Abrams and, and them. And so Matt uh, is going to tell us a little bit about the Cloverfield prequel manga. Yeah, this is uh, bizarre. <laughs> I don't. So uh, it, it was released in uh, 2008. Um, it was a four-episode web comic that was originally put out by uh, Kadokawa Shoten, which is uh, who owns Dai Properties, you know, Gamera, Daimajin. Um, it was written by Matthew Pitts, um, who was a film assistant on Cloverfield, also Star Trek. He also was a writer for the movie, not the movie, but the show The Fringe. 
Also, Nicole Phillips, who, again, worked on The Fringe, Blacklist. She was also an assistant on uh, Abrams' Star Trek film. And then David Baranoff, um, he was an associate producer on Cloverfield. And he also provided uh, some of the viral footage for the, the film Super 8. Um, it was produced by Abrams. It also was illustrated by Yoshiki Tagawa, which I, as far as I know, he's not known for much else except for Phi Brain Kami no Puzzle, which I have no idea what that is. That's the only other work that I could find uh, attributed to him. Um, as Bird mentioned, pretty easy to find online. Um, I'm going to I'm going to do my best to give you a synopsis. So uh, brace yourself. Uh, basically, we have another character, Kishin Aiba, who um, he's a main character. We learn that he's very troubled. He misses his mother who has passed away, and he is the subject of constant bullying at school. Uh, in fact, at one point, the bullies mock his dead mother. Um, there's a monster attack, and of course, this is the Cloverfield monster attacking. And when news of the attack breaks, um, he and a fellow student, Ako Sashara, which I'm butchering that name, I'm sure, um, they leave school and they seek shelter, but they first want to go to Kishin's home in order to retrieve an autographed poster. Uh, so who doesn't want to evacuate the city when you can go and get an autograph from somebody? Um, so basically, he has an autograph from a pop star who happens to promote Slusho. Slusho was a viral tie-in for the I film. Slusho, man. Slusho, Slusho, Slusho. Okay. Uh, it is here that we learn that Clover was the monster itself was actually taken captive by the company Tag- Tagruato, which is another promotional tie-in, a viral thing. Um, and this company is somehow involved with the cult that wants to control the monster. Um, well, Tagarado is like the something that's all over the viral stuff and like not mentioned in the movie. Um, we skipped over a little bit of it. There, there's not a whole lot of it, but it was introduced in the um, the viral marketing. It's a Japanese mining company, and they discover something called Seabed's Nectar, which they put in their subsidiary company Slusho in their soft drinks. It's like their secret ingredient. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know why. why that a mining... sounds like. That sounds like Coke. In Slush Show, that's like an Abrams thing. That's like the soft drink in anything that he's produced. It's even in like Star Trek. Um, and yeah, that's also like they did the viral website, jamieandteddy.com, which featured a couple that, you know, it, it was like YouTube videos that kind of documented their relationship. And Jamie is actually Marlena's roommate and Teddy was her boyfriend. And he was part of a protest group against Tagarado. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, that, that's kind of some, what you need to know about this company that's kind of existing in all this outside movie, I guess, I don't know, expanded universe, for lack of a better term, stuff. So, Matt, carry it away. Uh, so we learned that the monster is part of this experiment called the Splinter of Amnion, which I don't know what that means. Uh, the cult actually refers to the monster as God's vestige um we also learned that kishin's mother fused somehow the dna of her son kishin with the monster that's where it starts getting crazy right i told you this was kind of a bizarre uh story he because of this he actually has the power to control the monster and the cult wants to use him and they kidnap him um they wear masks and these masks kind of look like uh no face or uh with kind of crossed over with the cloverfield monster's face now his father who is kind of estranged from, he also happens to be a researcher for Tagurato, 
And he comes in and rescues him. He actually kills a few cult members. But he tells his son that, hey, man, you got to die because if you die, you'll save humanity. And he actually blows up a bomb trying to kill his son, also killing himself. Um, at which point, Clover actually shows up and protects the kid from the blast by putting his hand over him or something. And then uh, now Kishin, who's enraged by his mother's death because his father explains that the company Tagurato actually kills her for bonding Kishin to the monster. Uh, enraged, he basically says, OK, I'm going to take the monster and I'm going to exact revenge and attack the city. So he actually climbs up on top of the head of the monster and he he senses because of their bond he can now sense how bad the monster has had it in its life up to now so it's like hey man we both have had crappy lives let's go kill some people because of it um back at school the bullies from earlier are being attacked by parasites and actually uh kenshin he, he's he's guiding this attack and his friend who we talked about earlier ido um she saves one of the bullies and tries to convince him that uh or sorry she saves the bullies, and all, that's, all the while, Kenshin's trying to convince her that they all need to die. Eventually, he relents in his attack, um, but he realizes, hey, man, I can't control the parasites. So instead, he runs – he jumps off the monster. He runs as a distraction trying to get the parasites to chase him in order to save his classmates. But uh, in rage, Cloverfield, the monster itself, decides to eat him with the feet, this like little tube that comes out of its stomach. And once he does that, he can sense – uh, Kishin's feelings, and that drives him insane, basically, and he retreats into the ocean. At that point, a couple things happen. We learn that there's multiple eggs or pods hinting at the fact that this monster may not be the same one that attacked New York, and then eventually Kishin is found in the ocean floating on a, floating on a piece of driftwood, um, who eventually is then reunited with his classmates. The too-long-didn't-listen version of that story is the angsty teen who lost a parent, feels useless, and is bullied, eventually seeks out revenge, and then finds some sort of redemption at the end. So it's like every other manga ever. Uh, exactly what I was going <laughs> for. Yep. Who? I, what a weird... Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like any a lot of angsty teen kind of anime. Oh, my, my parents, you know, abandoned me, and I get bullied at school, and I'm the outcast, and now I'm gonna... Yeah, and it even gets into, like, know. convoluted, like, cult stuff, and... The DNA of his mom is in the creature for some reason. That's all very weird, but also like tropey anime manga kind of stuff. I, I, yeah, I mean, I will say, like, I, I took that synopsis. I, I read a bunch of synopsis for that. I looked at some panels myself, and like, I will say the artwork is 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 decent. Like, it's the monster looks pretty cool. There's some pretty interesting panels and stuff like that. So, like, if if you want to, you know, kill some time, go for it. Um, but it's not like. Would you want to watch that movie? Like I don't. I, don't, I mean, seen, I would maybe seen worse. I would maybe watch like a forty-minute OVA or something. Okay, I, I let me know. ask you this question: Is it better or worse than Cloverfield? The, the Cloverfield Paradox. I mean, anything's better than that. Spoiler <laughs> alert for what what's uh, in store later in this podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't read a ton of manga. Um, I do watch a fair amount of anime. This isn't something that. I would really want to see, but you know, that's just my personal take on it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we're going to get to 2016's 10 Cloverfield lane. Um, so Woo-hoo. yeah, from 2013, I mean, once Pacific Rim and Godzilla and Kong and all those were, you know, big, uh, 
I don't know, but I guess there's two ways to look at it. Instead of sensing an opportunity and being like, now's the time for Cloverfield 2, uh, Abrams and Co. Uh, were like, eh, you know, it's a little saturated with the kaiju stuff. Forget Cloverfield 2. Um, and so uh, this is where we'll get into maybe why this what they're doing with this i guess quote unquote franchise is kind of weird and maybe not the best but essentially they decided to rebrand it uh rebrand what Cl- cloverfield is no longer going to be uh, a giant monster movie from 2008 it's going to be a well the idea was and we'll we'll when we talk about the next movie we'll get into why you know this isn't really working the idea was we're going to rebrand Cloverfield to be something like the Twilight Zone. You see the name Cloverfield and you just know you're going to go see a suspenseful genre movie that is going to be kind of out there and, you know, it's going to, it's an anthology series. It's not going to be sequels and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll we'll see how that goes. So uh uh, right off the bat, the viral marketing stuff kind of came back, um, and I don't know, we'll talk, there's a couple bits of information on there that we'll, we'll talk about, but um, uh, essentially, uh, a few years prior, uh, there was a script floating around called The Seller, um, which uh, was bought by Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams' uh, production company. Um, and then it was uh, commissioned uh, later for rewrites by Damien Chazelle, who uh, was originally attached to direct, but he actually ended up uh, getting a call to direct the movie Whiplash, which is an excellent movie. It's not a genre movie or anything, but it, it's very good. Um, and this one had a similar uh, trailer drop, I think, than the, to the first one. Um, uh, just randomly, a trailer came out without... Um, a name on it, and you just saw uh, actors that we knew. We saw John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, uh, John Gallagher Jr. sitting around a table playing some kind of board game uh, to kind of a chipper uh, music, and suddenly you, you get the idea that this isn't a happy game night. And then, you know, we had some some clips of Mary Elizabeth Winstead running away and John Goodman chasing her. And then the trailer ends, and there's a date, and the date is like, I, I don't remember the exact dates, but it, it was like, I don't even know if it was a full month. It was maybe a month and a week, if that, maybe one month from when that trailer came out, and everyone was like, whoa, wait, there's this like horror suspense movie with John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and what? And it's coming out in like a few weeks? What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> do you remember like the, the thing i remember the most about the trailer is the, the house and then the light behind the house right like, right what yeah the hell is this all about exactly and then you know uh murmurs were like could this be another cloverfield movie i think this is a cloverfield movie and then um uh sure enough not too long after i think the january of of, of that year um it, there was a trailer uh that came out theatrically and it was sure enough 10 cloverfield lane 
And then, uh, so that was January, and the movie came out in March, so it was actually a couple months afterwards. But it's still, I mean, a ridiculously short amount of time to just drop the existence of a movie on the public. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, from there, the speculation came out. And then, you know, um, uh, weird comments from Abrams saying, you know, it's not quite a sequel, it's it's a blood relative, okay? I don't, what know, does what, that, I don't what know what does that means. Mean? And we'll we'll get into some some annoying JJ like, that, quotes. That's what that's what they say in like some parts of Kentucky. Like it's not really my. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's some so, but this is where the whole idea of Cloverfield being a franchise came in, and it's I mean, it's not real. <laughs> this franchise isn't real. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but. Um, so uh, so yeah, that was insane that 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 trailer drop um uh and then still it was like well what is this i guess it's not a sequel but it's a something so um we all went and saw cloverfield lane and then um i i guess i'll i'll give the synopsis here so um uh mary elizabeth winstead very underrated actress not too hard on the eyes um she uh starts the movie getting in a fight with her boyfriend i'm assuming um and she leaves and on her on her drive to wherever it is she is going she gets in a bad car accident when she wakes up she is chained in a bunker um and we find that john goodman uh which matt this is did you realize this is the last fat john goodman movie Man, Fat John Goodman is awesome, and he's he's enormous in this. I can see why he why Fat John Goodman had to go. Yeah, but like <laughs> watching him at like his little jig when he's like dancing as he's putting on the oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> it's um, fantastic. Uh, it, it but yeah, it turns out he has uh, he is telling her that he has rescued her from the car crash, and uh, she is in a bunker. She is not to leave. If she leaves, there is a poisonous air so uh that will will you know kill you if you go outside um and he just keeps saying there's been a an attack and no one can leave and she thinks he's crazy and then she she actually finds out that um uh also inhabiting the bunker is someone that um john goodman's character howard had known from normal life uh you know um that you know being around town and he is also confined to the bunker with them um and we get that they might have a a strange relationship but howard is very um this is a spectacular performance by john goodman by the way he's just full of these nervous tics and he seems like a crackpot so you don't really believe anything he's saying and then um you know uh eventually things uh, will transpire in the movie that tip us off that okay maybe he's not so wrong after all but uh yeah it's just a really interesting performance um and so she doesn't buy it uh eventually he he you know kind of explains uh you know he had a daughter that in uh you know his wife and his daughter you know he he lost them um 
and at one point uh, a woman comes knocking on their door and you see that she's dying from being outside and they can't let her in so um uh so yeah right off right right from there you know we start to think like okay maybe maybe there's some truth here and uh, Michelle, that's that's our our main character. She is she learns a little bit more about Howard as the movie goes on, and um, you know things that um, this other character Emmett John Gallagher Jr. kind of reveals to her, like you know maybe he's not, maybe what's going on outside is real, but he maybe this guy is also dangerous on his own, um, and they. Uh, try to devise plans to get out like she makes a, a homemade hazmat suit made out of like uh, plastic bottles and a shower curtain um and they get caught and that costs emmett his life um and uh there's some pretty disturbing stuff <laughs> that goes on with that character which is actually one of those like you know you get a brief shot of it and the less you see of it, the more like unsettling it is. Um, Let's just say he's soup now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then uh, this is where uh, Michelle, um, she finally escapes. And uh, when she gets out, she uh, is surprised to see well, for now she can breathe, but uh, slowly a large living, so it's like a giant monster and an alien spaceship at once, this ship thing comes uh, and like sprays this green gas. Uh, so she's she runs away from that, and she's also kind of uh, being stalked by a little, a little alien thing. It looks almost like a, a weird metal porcupine kind of creature. Um, and she has to fight off this giant uh, creature slash ship and this porcupine creature. Um, and then uh, she... So, uh, yeah, Howard was right. Uh, that's our, our big our big reveal at the end. And then she uh, has to choose where she wants to go from there. Uh, and that's 10 Cloverfield Lane. So it's essentially uh, a bottle film. That's what they call a movie that's in one locale. Um, usually a suspense film, uh, and it's a kidnapping story, uh, and then at the end it takes a hard turn into monsters and aliens and science fiction, um, and we'll talk about what parts of that work and what don't, so, uh, Matt, you somehow, uh, missed this one when it came out and you just recently got caught up and watched it. Um, so the review section here, I'm going to let you, uh, 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 pick up the baton here and go with your thoughts on 10 Cloverfield Lane. A lot of it really works well. The, I mean, the acting is superb. You, you feel the tension. Um, it's pretty clear early on that John Goodman's character is a, is a total nut job, but when you and you have a suspicion that like okay there's something obviously that he knows um, that that we don't and trying to piece that together I think is what makes this movie fun. I think the unfortunate part is the way the ending t- comes out because in order to tack on the Cloverfield name they wanted to add something you know science fiction related to it and that's where the the aliens come in 
And that the ending, I think, is where you know we talked about this bird quite a bit. It's a little bit too long. It really does show how much of a of a tack on thing that they just they did reshoots for this, by the way, and they added the scene. Um, and I think that's where the movie kind of goes awry because they let it linger there too much. And I know I think it was like Trev and Tom both said this, but like if she had come out of the room and escaped finally, and then you kind of just see the shot of the aliens and the movie ended there. Like, that's a really good ending that's very close to the original ending, which we'll talk about in a minute. But because it, it lingers too much and too much goes on, it, it just feels very rushed. I like everything else up to that point. I think it's great. I think it's it's intense. It moves really quickly. You really get a feel for the characters. They're all enjoyable. Um, John Goodman is absolutely terrifying, and I would never want to see him in a lone room. <laughs> He no, um, I'm pretty much with you on everything you said. Uh, the cast is great, phenomenal. I, John Goodman, this performance is great, and I know he's a well beloved actor, um, very prolific, known for really kind of throwing himself into these roles. But this performance did not get talked about enough. I think this might be one of the best role performances I've ever seen from John Goodman. And like I said, he just fills Howard with all these paranoid, nervous tics and, you know, just he really throw, threw himself into it. And he, he plays the character very real. And then, you know, when you do get the little bits of him talking about his backstory, you also get a, a certain sympathetic kind of sadness in him and then when he does like flip that switch and becomes like murderous he's <laughs> terrifying but then he's also funny like there's a part where you know he walks in he interrupts the two characters talking about like their escape plan he's like i feel like some music and he puts on a, a record and starts to like gyrate his hips a little bit and it's he's he's all those things and none of them are too overstated he never goes into the scenery chewing kind of overacting territory which it would be so easy for an actor to overplay the scary part or the funny part or the sympathetic part but he just delivers the character kind of as written in a way that he's not overplaying any of those things. He's a balance of all these qualities that really make this character really fun to watch. And he's unpredictable. You don't know, I mean, one second you're eating spaghetti or playing Monopoly, and then the next minute he sees you maybe looking at the other person at the table in a suspicious <laughs> way, and he flips. Almost like, you know, <laughs> if you are... Yeah, like bipolar basically yeah <laughs> he's that like crazy like uh if you he's like your friend's crazy dad if you're like eating over at a friend's house and like you're someone starts laughing what's so funny what's so damn funny dude i, dude, I had i had one of those i had a friend like with that dad like he started yelling him we were having a normal dinner and he looks over at him and he starts yelling at him because he was chewing too loud and i'm like what are you there's like 12 of us at this dinner table what are you talking about yeah he, he's he is that guy um and then there like there there's fun little like montages where <laughs> i like i love the neurotic qualities of that that character too like he's like i do have some cds and some vhs tapes and some dvds you can watch just be sure to put them back in the sleeve when you're done like he's just this neurotic like 
mess of a human but yeah there's parts where they're watching like old grindhouse movies what's the what, airline zombies or something which i think was actually i i i, I could just be talking out of my ass but i feel like when I, I googled that when i got home and it was like an alternate title for some italian horror movie or something but um he also gets mad when they interrupt him watching the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> what movie was he oh he was at home I think he was watching Home Alone. What was he yeah, watching? I know. I think Home Alone was in this. I don't remember what he was watching during that particular scene. He was like <laughs> yeah. so annoyed. He was old man yells at Cloud during that. They they <laughs> interrupt him to tell him something like important, and he's just like, "What? <laughs> oh, it was uh, it was um, Pretty in Pink." Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they interrupt him to tell him something like really important. He's like, "What?" He's like pauses it and he's like rolling his eyes. Um, it's yeah, it's just a really, <laughs> it's just a really great character. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I mean I've seen her in a lot of stuff at this point. I don't think she's ever been bad in any, anything. She's always great. Um, Emmett is a fun character, and um, we'll talk about some differences between what he is in this and in the original script. And I, I, I think that is where some of the changes that they made when they made it into this were for the better. Um, agree. My, my big criticisms are with the ending and it's not so much what it is. It's more, uh, how the movie handles it. Um, the, the, there, there's nothing wrong with her fighting off aliens at the end. That's not my issue. My issue is the aesthetically, it feels like it's uh, an action scene plucked from a different movie, like out of a you know an action movie, which this is not. Um, you know, yeah, the car blowing up the ship. Thing yeah, or like <laughs> she blows up the ship by lighting a Molotov cocktail and throwing it in into the its uh, mouth, yeah. and it's like that in a different movie. Something like that is okay, but in something that uh, Laura Croft and Tomb Raider. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if it was like a silly movie uh, or an action movie or something like that, that that kind of scene is fine. But in something that was so rooted in reality and something that was so legitimately scary at times, it's really it it just feels inappropriate. Um, I I think you could have kept the. I think there's a middle ground where you could have kept her fighting the aliens and doing and being less, um, you know, over the top with it. It, it gets too, uh, I guess, for the lack of a better word, cheesy. Yeah, like her, her car gets picked up by this like tentacle thing, and then when she blows up the spaceship, she falls like it had to be fifty feet or more. Like her car should have been crushed. I mean, there's stuff like that, but I, I agree. Like it, it, it feels so tacked on from the rewrite that mm-hmm. like it it take it takes you out of all the good stuff yeah. in the first. There, there, know? there was a better way to handle it, but um, this is kind of what the next movie we're we're really going to get into the issues with <laughs> why this you can't you can't just buy. Uh, an indie script and say well i'll make it but it's got to be a cloverfield movie so we're just gonna apparently you, know, you can do that it just may not go well <laughs> so we're, we're just gonna take you know uh we're just gonna cross out a bunch of words and write a bunch of other stuff and and slap all this other crap on it to make it a cloverfield movie 
Well, I mean, Bert, let, before we rate this, let's talk about the original ending because I think that's kind of important. Well, yeah, in, in the original script, um, I mean, with with the next movie, it's the, the third movie, Paradox. They essentially they bought a script and pretty much destroyed it into being a Cloverfield <laughs> movie. This movie, the original script actually was very similar. There's a lot of small changes, but some of the bigger ones we're going to talk about. Um, in, including the original ending. So, Matt, why don't you tell us about uh, the difference between The Cellar and 10 Cloverfield Lane? Well, in the original script, Michelle is 18 years old. Um, Howard's family history is made a lot more clear. His wife perished uh, when he was driving drunk, and his daughter was was uh, taken from him, and he did not kidnap another girl. Um, Emmett was called Nate, and he was a bad guy with a troubled history with Howard. Um, he eventually convinces Michelle to join him in a coup to overthrow Howard, and he manipulates her with lies, and he also has sex with her. That's kind of what he uses to get yeah, her. Yeah, see, I like... I don't like that idea. I like the I like the Emmett version more. I, I mean, I it just feels yeah. like... I don't know, it just feels weird that you would have a movie with this independent... Sexual manipulation? Like, right. I just... Yeah, and you know, and and that character seems like a fairly independent, you know, person to 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 have her be manipulated like that. Really, just kind of, I don't know. It almost seems like it's a little more mean spirited than it needs to be. It's like it's too sleazy for for this movie. Yeah, and I I think Michelle, as she is in the movie, she's an incredibly strong character. She thinks on her feet. Um, she's really, I mean, like she's very engaging. She's funny. She's clearly intelligent. And she pieces together a way to escape multiple times. And she takes chances. Like, I think there's one part where she breaks the bottle over his head trying to run away. That's, like, the first time that she realizes she's stuck there because she can't get through the locks that he has upstairs. Yeah. So, I mean, like, she's a very great character. And, and having it the other way where she's the one being manipulated to do certain things just feels like after seeing the movie as it is now, it just feels wrong. Yeah. Um, in the original ending, Michelle uh, shoots Howard in the knee. And then she escapes. And then basically she leaves to go back to Chicago, her hometown, and she sees the entire skyline on fire. Um, that basically makes her remove her hazmat mask, and she takes a deep breath in. Roll credits. Which I think that's, that sequence would have been a lot better for this movie. I also think that you could have replaced that with the aliens we talked about. And I, I think it was Tom or Trev or somebody had, had brought that up. But I think that's a great way to do the same thing, essentially. If you wanted to have this alien threat, you could have done something very similar where she escapes and all of a sudden there's aliens there. And then you, you take that in for, you know, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever it is, and then roll credits. And you get that same kind of vibe as what was originally in the script. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah, keep the burning skyline and just CGI some some spaceships over it or something like I, I think that would, you know, you're still keeping with the Twilight Zone kind of twist vibe but you're not you're not do you're not you're not essentially turning into another movie at that point a better comparison would be like it went from this film to something like resident evil very quickly like she's fighting aliens not aliens maybe it's not you know zombies or whatever but it's these otherworldly creatures and like i said i, I just think that sequence it goes on a bit too long and the very ending shot is she's basically listening to a radio broadcast and it's telling her um like where to go if you want to fight essentially and so she heads that direction so it implies that like she's heading in, in the skyline you see like lightning flashes and you see ships kind of in the background 
So, like, she's heading towards battle, essentially. But, like, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel right. We build up 95% of this movie to be one thing, and then they kind of tack on this ending, and I think that's where the movie just kerplunk. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, everything up until that last 15 minutes or so is excellent, well-crafted, well-directed suspense thriller. And then it turns into like a like a you know a Roland Emmerich movie and <laughs> so um I mean everything before that is so good though you know that I yeah, really I know. I, you know it's you can't not like I can't shit too much on this movie because everything before that is so well done um so yeah I mean I'm gonna go ahead uh and rate this I'm going to give it a very strong three and a half um, that could have been a four, maybe even four and a half, but a very strong three and a half um, that comes with a recommendation. I think that this is a movie that is worth watching. Um, So much of it is just really, really well done. Um, It's just that that tonally and aesthetically that last that finale just isn't isn't right you know it's like trying to attach two puzzle pieces that don't connect so um a very very strong three and a half um uh melting emits yeah (laughs) out of five what what would you rate it yeah dude i'm right there with you i I would say this could have been a four four and a half but i'm gonna give it a three and a half because i loved 95 percent of it so much and the ending Though it is tacked on, and though I was pretty harsh about it, like it's in a way sort of serviceable. I just wish there there was a better idea behind that that mm-hmm. they should have stuck with. And yeah. if they had done that, this would have been very good. Yeah, it is a good movie though. Um, uh, real quick, so I mentioned the viral marketing uh, stuff sprung up right away with the websites, and um, a lot of this, like uh, with the, I guess it's called an ARG, alternate reality game. I guess that's fancy word for viral marketing or something. I don't know, uh, but um, like there were uh, some emails from Howard, which actually, if you go and look up, they're actually kind of funny. Like <laughs> they're all misspelled and <laughs> like <laughs> messed up. Uh, but he was um, named Employee of the year by bold futura which is a company an energy company uh owned by tagarato uh and that actually comes with like a pretty amusing employee of the month like photo of him where he just looks like a slob um so yeah there's your uh i guess quote unquote connection also in the movie there the one literal connection to cloverfield and all this stuff in the movie is actually um she's like looking through some stuff and she finds an envelope with uh bold future futura tagarado on it and that's it and it's clearly like a reshoot like insert shot like we have to make this uh, how can we fit make this cloverfield why, here why didn't they just make her drink slush show or slush show or whatever <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but yeah i mean that's an obviously an insert where they're like oh uh oh yeah this is a cloverfield movie right um it's interesting, though, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead had the flu while filming that alien sequence, which her body was telling her something. <laughs> <laughs> you should have called off today. <laughs> um, so I guess here's where the problem 
it's weird to rebrand something that was as, you know, um, I guess that got enough attention that the, the original Cloverfield to rebrand it as this anthology series, but stick to that. Okay. This is just another weird story. That's if that's how you want to rebrand Cloverfield, go ahead. My problem and I, and I like J.J. Abrams. I don't have anything against the guy. He seems cool. He seems like he's into a lot of the same stuff we like. And, you know, I I like he some likes, of his... He loves Snoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like some of his, his material, but I he pisses me off when it comes to Cloverfield. And it's, okay, you want to rebrand it? Like I said, that's fine. But the fact that he he's... He knows that the name means enough to people still from that original movie that he's very adamant on injecting all this stuff into these movies that don't need it. If you want it to be an anthology, let it be an anthology. Don't try and make all these vague claims and play all coy and do your mystery box thing to try and convince people that they're literally connected, these movies. Um, The next movie literally exists for them to do that. And that's... (laughs) And we'll get into that, but like, okay, so I have some bullshit Abrams quotes. Um, uh, so here's one where he's trying to justify, put it, like I said, just say it's an anthology series, that's it. But he feels like he needs to justify it more and really just slap Cloverfield onto it and change these cool little indie scripts to be Cloverfield movies. Just let it be an anthology. Let them all be standalones with no connection, but he can't do that. So that's why you have the stupid insert of the, the Tagorado envelope or whatever. So here, here's, where, here's, here's a quote. Um, it's not the con- continuation of the story that people might think of, but it, w- it was so clearly associated. He's talking about this, this movie and the first movie. There was such a clear Venn diagram of these two things. It felt like if we were literal about connections to the first movie, but in no way that people might expect us to be. It could be its own thing. It's a blood relative, not a sequel. Did you understand any of that? I did because it was just heaping bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like crazy, like double talk. And then here's another one where he's trying to justify the Cloverfield name being attached to this thing. The spirit of it, the genre of it, the heart of it, the fear factor, the comedy factor, the weirdness factor. There were so many elements that felt like the DNA of this story were of the same place that Cloverfield was born out of. Uh, is he like the Trump speechwriter? Because I think <laughs> that could be but a thing. How? 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 Like he's saying, like, oh, we notice these thematic similarities to Cloverfield. How? Where? What? They're completely different. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that, right? Because it's like it's the dude that gets caught cheating on his girlfriend and comes up with every excuse about how it's not somehow his fault. Right. Like that's, that's what that quote is. Uh, all right. (laughs) So I don't know. So this, this, this bullshit (laughs) all came to a head with this third movie, the Cloverfield paradox. Uh, so Matt, like a lot of people, you've probably heard, at one point or another, of a script called The God Particle. A lot of rumors 
oh, is this Clover the next Cloverfield? This might be the next Cloverfield. And finally, someone said, it is the next Cloverfield. Uh, we're going to release it in April. And then um, Paramount uh, were more or less like, eh, maybe we won't. We don't know what we want to do. coming out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and they're like, well, we're talking to Netflix about something. And like that's where we last we heard. It's coming out in April in theaters, but Netflix might do something with it. Then Super Bowl Sunday, a Super Bowl commercial for the movie comes out, which is literally stock footage of the. F- Did you watch this trailer? No, oh, man. Okay, this this trailer is literally stock footage of the first Cloverfield movie, and it says <laughs> it says so- <laughs> that just makes me so much more angry. Oh, I know, I know, and it says something <laughs> like, um, ten years ago, this happened." Now, find out why. Oh, you know what? I saw like a very brief snippet, something like that, because it came up in my uh, my Facebook feed. And yeah, that's 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 horseshit. And and then it's like, oh, maybe they actually spent some time and made a real prequel out of this God particle thing. Hmm, I don't know. Well, well, trailer. Thank you for, for giving me that message. I will look forward to seeing it in April. And then it's like, oh, no, it's coming out tonight on Netflix. Bye. And it's like, what? Whoa. I, what what, what just is happened? going on? <laughs> Bert, oh, oh, my gosh. Can we just can we just do the synopsis? Because I, I want to give I want to do a Cliff Notes version that is so short that like cause I, why, why talk? Why talk about all the the intricacies of this movie? We both know why it sucks. <laughs> Well, like, I'm just so we, angry we gotta it. do a synopsis and a review like any other movie. All right, all right. Well, but, I mean, but, I, the, the, but this was huge. N- nothing from a marketing standpoint, nothing like that has happened. It's so much that I mean, and, and, and it was a brilliant move on Paramount's part because they sold it to Netflix for fifty million dollars, so it was immediately profitable. Because right there, they sold it for more than what it cost, and then. Before anyone had the chance to say spread any negative word of mouth, they'd already seen it. You know, this this when this movie got so many streams that night, it's tons. You know, it was like I imagine in my head Super Bowl parties where normally you know you'd watch the after the game uh, coverage or you'd hang out for a little bit. I imagine just people like, oh, gotta go home watch Cloverfield. Like people watched this thing in droves. Because no one was able to tell them that it sucked. And I think Paramount knew they had a movie on their hands that, how do you market this? What is this? What I think they knew they had a dud on their hands, so they literally sold it to Netflix and had it shat onto the interwebs. Um, and I don't know. It, it was an amazing thing to see happen. They got car salesmen is what happened. <laughs> um, all right, Matt. So give us the synopsis of oh, God. Clo- the Cloverfield <laughs> Paradox. Uh, all right. So listen, guys. Uh, uh, I guess Wikipedia is going to be my friend here. I watched this like not too long ago in preparation for this podcast. But like it, I'm so angry right now. I'm seeing red. So I can, I can help you out if you need some help. Oh, I'm going to need help. Yeah. Uh, so basically it's 2028. There's a global energy crisis. Um, the space agencies from actually across the world, 
they send people into space to make this particle accelerator, which is a real thing, by the way. And also, I don't know, Bird, do you remember this? Like, people were talking about how the actual particle accelerator that does exist was going to, like, destroy us all. Do you remember this? <laughs> That's no, a real thing. That's a real thing that happens. That's what yeah. gives all the, the Flash and all of his uh, uh, villains and allies their powers as a particle accelerator. Well, uh, it's a real thing that exists, and uh, it's going to bring about the end of the world, which is kind of pretty close to this movie. Um, so they go into space. They go uh, into – for some reason, it's the Cloverfield Station of all things. Like, what? What? Anyway, it's and, called and, the Cloverfield Station. Yeah, and, and uh, you see, you hear people like Cloverfield call like come in, but it's clearly like added in post. Like, oh, <laughs> we have to make this a Cloverfield movie, so I, we're going to name the station Cloverfield. I just imagine like you doing the voiceover for that. You're like, oh, I can say that. Yeah, pay me like a million dollars to do that. Um, so the the particle accelerator. The whole point is it's going to end the world's energy crisis. And there's a, a lot of things about like there's wars going on, and there's countries that are talking about going to war. Um, so they're trying to stop these wars from happening by providing limit unlimited energy. Um, the problem is there's also a fear that this could create parallel universe or basically erase the Earth as we know it. Um, a, uh, so Ava Hamilton is our main lead character. She is an engineer, and she has left her family and um, her basically her husband behind. And you see them throughout the film. They're like chatting on something like Skype, a video chat. Um, and they talk about the fact that she doesn't know how long she's going to be up in space, but she's doing this because she has to for the sake of humankind. And she's having like, you know, stressful breakdowns because of it. But her, but her, um, her husband is very, very supportive of her. One thing we learn later on, and this is, this is pretty important is that, um, one of her, her children, excuse me, both children die in a, in a house fire, which is important later on because what we learn is when the Cloverfield, particle accelerator goes off it does actually put them in a parallel universe and in this universe and when they see the earth when they they think they find the earth again it's a different earth well she realizes that her husband and her two daughters are alive in this universe but she also has like another doppelganger that exists on earth um a whole bunch of crazy stuff happens when the particle accelerator fire. Like, there's this woman who mysteriously appears, like, inside some of the, like, mechanics and piping of the satellite itself. And that's that's actually – that sequence works pretty well initially because you're like, what the hell is this? You got a guy that, like, loses an arm suddenly and the arm's crawling around by itself um, on, like, you know, just fingers across the ship. Uh, Bird, you're going to have to help me here, man. I'm trying to remember some uh, of the other – Well. The arm is sentient for some reason. <laughs> I guess the explanation is because it's like from another dimension, but like that, that's like well, and and well, we have the laziest exposition ever. That's you know, <laughs> that I guess is the tissue that connects these <laughs> these movies. When you have Donald Logue who's playing like a author uh, of a book about the Cloverfield paradox, and he's saying, well. This is almost like exactly what he says. He says, "Well, if the particle particle accelerator does work, it could rip holes through dimensions, and you could see sea monsters or <coughs> Cloverfield One <laughs> or aliens, <coughs> Ten Cloverfield Lane, or demons. Maybe the next movie. I don't know. And uh, and 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 essentially, he's saying like anything could happen anywhere because of this." 
And it's like, what? That's like the laziest way to bring these movies together. I probably ever. It's the laziest, the laziest way to build a cinematic universe than I've ever seen. Is someone who's clearly in a reshot scene, who's just saying, "Oh, uh, if this works, anything could happen." And and he even says it could be it, if this if this works, anything could happen, even. In the past, in the future, anything can happen at any point and any time ever in multiple <laughs> universes because of this. Well, to to piggyback off that, we have that. Do you remember the worms? Remember the worm scene? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for some reason, they have. Well, what's the, what do the worms have to do with this? I don't. I don't know. Well, I'm just saying, like to piggyback anything happening at any time, like the, in the in the ship. For some reason, they have this thing like a case of worms, and then. One of the characters goes back and goes back to where the worms are and looks, and they're gone. And then suddenly, like this guy starts convulsing, and, like the worms burst out of him for no reason. Like it's never like there's there's no reason, there's no rhyme or reason to what happens in this film. It's just a bunch of like bizarre, grotesque, you know, body horror deaths and like sentient arms crawling around. You know, the the one dude's arm gets eaten, I think, initially by the ship or something, and then his hand ends up somewhere else. It's it's so crazy. Um, uh, well, and then, um, but anyway, so, <laughs> I mean, Bert, I'm having an aneurysm. Well, where, where the, the movie starts, talk of particle accelerators. Okay. You have that lazy exposition that's clearly added in post-production, whatever. It's like, okay. You know, when it works, they, and when they're like, oh, Hey, yay, it worked. Hey, uh, earth. Oh, where is gone? And it like, okay, what do you do when you think you've erased the Earth? I mean, th- those are, you know, the first 20, 30 minutes or so of this movie. And that those really had my, like, wheels turning. Like, oh, this is a weird, interesting thing. It looks like they're setting up multiverse stuff that they can explore. And then that kind of just stops once... Like, my turning point is where the guy's hand... Uh, gets eaten and comes out as an arm from another dimension that is sentient and like can Can't like communicate. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, this is so stupid. This suddenly just got so stupid. And then after that, like the multiverse stuff really kind of stops, and it just becomes kind of like the movie Gravity, where like different parts of the space station just keep breaking, and it's like, oh, this broke better go repair it oh this broke now i better go repair it and then at one point they're like oh i need this part where is it and then uh the girl that showed up in the wall from another dimension is like (laughs) it's inside this other guy and then they have to take it out of the other guy i don't know how she knew it was how would she know that yeah this doesn't and then i and then that character if if so i mean it goes by your standard sci-fi multiverse stuff which is like okay there's a version of you on each earth so she knows her Earth's version of all those characters, and they don't know their Earth's version of her? Who is that? Why? What? Why, why is there not two versions of her? Well, one thing we should mention, too, is the original Earth's, like a- Ava's husband. Um, while this is going on, we do get snippets of, like, there's an attack on the city, there is a a, a a broken down like hospital or like burning building or whatever that he comes across. He's taking he's seeking shelter. He mentions there's an attack by these things or creatures. And you see like, like a when, silhouettes of giant 
creatures and at one point you even hear i think the cloverfield monsters roar and you know that's just the movie baiting you um oh yeah it's baiting you the whole time that's all that is but go ahead i was gonna say and those scenes were obviously and i thought it stuck out obviously added later oh yeah no no doubt it's it, it's like you're watching uh, a space, you know, some sort of space opera thing, and then they're like, "Oh, by the way, here's what's happening with giant monsters on Earth." Like that's it. It just it's so it's so out of place. And then of course <clears throat> you you get to the end, and guess whose head comes billowing through the clouds <laughs> and roars at you? Well, it's the original Cloverfield monster, but according to J.J. Abrams, this is the same monster from the first film, but much bigger. How? Well, we don't know. But even we if it care. was... <laughs> I mean, it, I, it, she's going back to her Earth, her home, which, like, how, that's a different... Earth. They even establish in the movie that's a different Earth, because... Her Earth is twenty twenty eight or something in the future, and there wasn't any Cloverfield monster attack. So, like, how does that make any sense? Anyway, I mean, it, so so yeah, they, so doesn't. they get the ship running, and and she gets back home, and you know, as she you know lands, yes, you see above through the clouds the head of the Cloverfield monster who roars. And I'm still waiting for someone on YouTube to uh, take that clip and insert the Porky Pig. That's all, folks. Um, <laughs> and then the movie ends. And believe me when I tell you this movie is a mess from top to bottom. It's um, as bad as listening to me provide the synopsis. Maybe worse. And honestly. I just, I don't know what their obsession is with connecting these movies. It's like, okay, Cloverfield Paradox is going to... This is going to explain the original monster. That's your ad campaign, and that didn't happen, really. A, a rift was created in another dimension, and there could be monsters. That's literally so, the explanation. So it's the mist. <laughs> That's literally the explanation. And not only that, it's so like vaguely written that it, it like anything could be a Cloverfield movie. Evil Dead, uh, the Cloverfield Dead, you know, uh, there's demons. Oh, it was because of this particle accelerator in 2028 that came back to night and it caused a ripple effect in 1981. And now there's demons. You can literally (laughs) plug any scenario into this. So it's like this movie was made as their way of saying, like, we can literally make any movie a Cloverfield movie and rely on the name for you to pay attention to it doesn't that doesn't that say something though like doesn't that mean they, they're they're stupid they could there have there's all these giant monster films and the cloverfield name is still being used like why not just make some sort of actual sequel don't you think there's an audience for that of some kind well they they felt well i mean with they didn't do an original sequel because they felt like the you know it was already saturated which it is um I, my thing is, I don't know why they can't just bring themselves to make it an anthology series. They need to just add, just glue in the, these Cloverfield things that they don't need to. And it's irritating. And, I mean, this movie has such a great cast. I mean, you it have does. Uh, 
um, like David Oyelowo, Daniel Bruhl, um, Chris O'Dowd, Zhang Zi, um, and they're just wasted in this crap, and it's sloppy too. Like there's a scene where uh, David uh, um, Oyelowo has to go and repair a part of the ship, and he knows that he's gonna die doing it. <laughs> and 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 uh, um, the the our our main character Ava, she's like. We can do all this remotely. You don't have to go and do it. And he's just like, no, I do. It's like, why? <laughs> he don't, he never says why. Uh, and I mean, it's it's just it's it's just a, a pre-existing script that they just mangled as an excuse to try and you know. Oh, Bird, why don't you tell us about all that? Because <laughs> there's a bunch well, of stuff God they Particle. It was a very different movie, you know? It's not like Cloverfield Lane where there were just minor things here and there and then an ending that they changed. Uh, Basically, it was a completely different movie. God Particle, first of all, it was already shooting when they decided to make it a Cloverfield movie. Um, So all of the multiverse stuff that they used to try and justify the Cloverfield title was all done. Think about how much of this movie is used on that. That was all, <clears throat> excuse me, while the movie was shooting. Um, as I said, the it is true, the, er, the scenes with the husband on Earth, um, you know, driving by silhouettes of monsters, uh, and, you know, that was all done during reshoots. Um, the original script was much more interesting. Uh, all the characters were Americans, um, and they were all male, except for Ava, our, our main character. And the, the version we have, they're from different countries, and there's other females. Um, but the, the original movie used that kind of sexual tension to elevate, you know, the, the stakes. Um, <clears throat> in God Particle, it was the U.S. at war with Europe, uh, which was changed to Russia versus the Germans in Cloverfield Paradox. Um, also in God Particle, there are no alternate dimensions or monsters. Um, the movie was originally this paranoid kind of murder mystery bottle movie set in outer space, um, where, uh, in, in the script, after Earth disappears, the crew, they immediately assume that they're responsible for the destruction, uh, that they've destroyed the Earth, um, so they're all very guilt-ridden. Um, no damage is even made to the ship. So all those constant, oh, I got to go fix this. Oh, I blew up and died. All that <laughs> stuff that's happening every <laughs> every 10 minutes and, and Paradox isn't there. And um, the crew, they go through life assuming they can never return home. And they become hopeless. They start fighting with each other. And they get so crazy, they start questioning reality. And they get into these heady discussions about the dis- the existence of God. Um, Hence the name God Particle, probably. Right. right. <laughs> At one point, Ava is almost commits suicide by throwing herself out of an airlock because she's petrified uh, of being the only female left, which, um, I mean, would be scary. Um, and then uh, later in the script, um, another ship from Europe appears... And, you know, the two crews combine since they don't have a place to go home. And members of the American ship begin mysteriously dying um, uh, and getting murdered. And uh, the trust between the two crews starts to disintegrate. And Ava, she just doesn't trust anyone. And then it's revealed that the particle accelerator um, 
there's a twist where it wasn't part of the scientific mission, but it was actually a secret uh, military weapon being developed by the Americans to defeat Europe. And then that murder mystery turns out to be a European mystery uh, uh, military, I'm sorry, military spy was hiding on the shuttle as Europe wanted the weapon for themselves. And then it ends with the survivors destroying the weapon so nobody can use it and they end up heading back to Earth. So that actually sounds pretty cool. Um, this murder mystery set in space where everyone, no one trusts each other, kind of like a paranoid, kind of almost like the thing type paranoia set in this small little, um, confined ship. And then instead of just being able to say, oh, it's a, it's an anthology series, so we're just going to make it and yeah, we'll put Cloverfield on it and let it be. No, we got to, okay, it says Cloverfield on it. Okay, that means we have to uh, cross out this part, uh, this paragraph here. This can go. Uh, this subplot, yeah, that's that's junk. Um, geez, uh, you know, we should probably try and do something that can tie it into another, tie these other movies together because, you know, we can't just let them be their own things. Oh, oh, multiverse, multiverse. Uh, 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 write that down, write that down, uh, write it down. Uh, multiverse um, and... This particle accelerator, it makes anything fantastic happen, so we can just make future genre movies and call them Cloverfield, and it's all explained here in this throwaway piece of dialogue that was obviously added after the fact. Sounds great. And that is the origin of Cloverfield Paradox and why I think they're handling this, um, uh, this franchise wrong. I mean, let it be an anthology. Don't stop trying to make them connect. And the worst thing about it is after this movie came out, I, I, think, I think the consensus was generally negative. But there's the Cloverfield fans that are like, oh, my God, it's all connected. I get it now. I get it now. <laughs> uh, and, and it's like, you, like they feel like this is some kind of big grand plan. This is a Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of universe. And it's not. This is, it's, their attempts to make these Cloverfield movies are so half-assed, so lazy, and so after the fact that I really wish they would just re- let the strengths of these scripts carry their movies and just say it's it's an anthology. Just because it says Cloverfield doesn't mean you're always going to get a monster. doesn't mean you're going to get aliens all the time. It just means you're going to get a weird story. And I wish that's what they did. Um, but no, we can't have that. Because why? That makes... That, that makes I don't know. I don't know why. I, Bro, I you don't. Were, you were fired up today. <laughs> well, this movie was bullshit. I could, uh, well, I mean, listen. Uh, imagine if they if they made this like Tin Godzilla Lane at the, or not Tin Godzilla, but you know the Godzilla paradox. And at the very end, all you get is one shot of Godzilla roaring. Would Godzilla would like would all the Godzilla fans and the monster fans out there be like, oh, that was really cool. I love it. It makes total sense. Like it. it I would hope they would be pissed about well, it. Well, according to know? this movie, God, any Godzilla movie can be a Cloverfield That's movie. What I'm saying, right? These That's monsters, what I'm saying. Uh, God's, yeah, the the particle accelerator it, in in this one um, universe in the multiverse, it ripped open a thing in 1954 that caused a big dinosaur. Like J.J. Abrams is literally stealing your idea right now. I, I, you I, could do that. You could do that with anything. You could make King Kong. You could make any Halloween. Oh, uh, a particle accelerator. It made a, a weird like demon child that grew up and killed a bunch of babies. Now you can't. Yeah, like, just, you just could do that with anything. It's the laziest attempt to make a universe that I've ever seen. I can't believe I, it, it. It's baffling. This whole movie is baffling. Yeah, it's garbage. Um. <laughs> 
There's some there's some trivia. Do you want to tell us about the trivia? Do we want to rate the movie? I don't even know where to go right now. I'm so. I mean, upset. I'll rate it. Um, I give this uh one fake franchise out of five. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go one and a half. I give it the extra half because, in fairness to the actors, I do I did enjoy their performances. Yeah, they're 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 doing their damnedest. Really. I mean, I mean, they really are. They're they're doing the Lord's work in this movie because <laughs> nope, like everything else is garbage. But when you're in a movie, like you're just kind of in many ways subject to the script in front of you. So one and a half fake franchises. <clears throat> um. A couple pieces of trivia. So the viral marketing stuff kicked up again. Um, the Tagorado website was updated with inter- energy blah, 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 information about a new energy source, um, you know, the particle accelerator, obviously. So, I mean, a lot of these Cloverfield fans follow this viral stuff like crazy, even though it doesn't mean anything. I don't know. Um, and then uh, at 18 minutes into the movie is when the accelerator goes off, which is also the exact same timestamp in the first Cloverfield when the monster appears, which actually, according to Abrams, was completely coincidental. Uh, he's, you, you would think he, should, he would have like played that up or something. Uh, yeah, knowing him. Speaking of which, I have some uh, um, the, uh, some bullshit Cloverfield uh, or uh, <laughs> quotes from from B- Abrams. Um, I got a couple of them. So uh, he says originally it was written by Oren Uziel who wrote a draft that was its own thing, and it was around for a while, we started to think, what are ways that this might fit into this world? Okay, I'm going to stop him right there. It doesn't. (laughs) Why? Why is he thinking that? Why not just make the script the way it is? Don't get it. Anyway, he continues, but then we started shooting the movie, and it was still something we were thinking about. Okay, after you've made the decision to shoot the movie, just shoot the movie, okay? Don't try and retrofit it into being a, a, a Cloverfield thing. Stop. Just stop. Stop. Anyway, so he continues. He says, because the idea for the Cloverfield series was not so much that it would be this narrative through line, but more that they could be these really sort of fun thrill rides. Like if you have an, um, an amusement park, a Cloverfield amusement park, and every ride has a different purpose, but they all connect in one way or another. No. Is no. there anything that is subs- – like anything of substance in that besides the fact that he blatantly just admitted <laughs> we had a script and we shat on it? Like that's <laughs> – Yeah, he pretty much says right there we were making a movie halfway through. We decided to try and quote-unquote fit it into the Cloverfield world. It's like, why? He needs to stop. He has a problem. He needs to stop. JJ, I like you. But please, you have, please. <laughs> you need help, my friend. Give he, them the other quote, though. It gets better. <laughs> so then <laughs> the other quote I have, he says, on the one hand, you can say, well, anything, anywhere could be a Cloverfield movie, but the intention has never been to take a movie and then slap Cloverfield on it. That's idea, a lie. <laughs> the idea was to say that Cloverfield is kind of an umbrella, you know, under which sort of genre and thrill ride you that you can take place. 
The second half of that is what it should be, but the first half of that is not true because the quote I literally just read said he was making a movie and in the middle of it he said, how can this fit into Cloverfield? How can this be Cloverfield? And then he decided to, to put in a scene of a guy talking for two minutes about how literally anything can happen at any point in time on any universe in a multiverse and that's how it all connects. And so he needs to stop with the connections and just go with what these these scripts sound really cool. Let these writers do their thing. And then I mean we I I think like I said I think general opinion of this movie was negative, but when I was posting some of these articles with these quotes on our Facebook page, you know, you had we had some Cloverfield fans with who you know, with all due respect, they would come in and say well, I like that, you know, they're making these move these scripts that, you know, if if not for the Cloverfield connection, maybe couldn't it get made. And it's like I understand that sentiment. I agree with that, but if 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 you are JJ Abrams and you have a cool sci-fi script, if your idea to rebrand Cloverfield as an anthology series, just be like, okay, here's a new one. Don't go and re do all these rewrites and reshoots and try and like retroactively make it Cloverfield. Just let Cloverfield adopt uh, what is okay. You're gonna see another weird story, another sci-fi story. You know, don't go back and do all that and make all those changes. And now, uh, like, I mean, if that's the way this franchise is going, I mean, I think you have unlimited potential to take a name people know and use it to sell a script. Uh, of a little indie script. You can do that, but don't mess with it. Just let it be what it is, you know? And now, I, I don't know if he's dug himself into such a hole that he f- is going to have to do it because it's what people expect. I don't know. I, I, I hope not. It's almost like John Carpenter with Halloween 3, he was like, okay, not interested in Michael Myers. I just want to do a different Halloween themed story with every entry that would not connect except they would all take place on Halloween. And by the time that movie came out, Halloween two had already happened with Michael Myers and everyone saw it and was like, well, where's Michael? It's like without Halloween two, that might be where the Halloween franchise went. But now it's like, have have we bogged ourselves down in so much Cloverfield bullshit that we can never have what is better for it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, let, let's talk about uh, Cloverfield 4, which we already know is uh, also known as Overlord, and it was di- it's directed by Julius Avery. Um, it's already finished production, and it's somehow a World War II film about soldiers dropping behind enemy enemy lines uh, in the events leading up to D-Day, and they discover some sort of supernatural bullshit secret uh, in a Nazi-occupied village. And also kind of surprising to me is that they are targeting an October release uh, for this year, but it's not going to Netflix. It's supposed to be a theatrical release. A couple things about that. Um, I think anytime you combine World War II with genre fiction, you have potential for something cool. I'm wondering if the supernatural stuff is going to be demons, because there is the the shitty dialogue guy says... What if it's just like Cloverfield Babies or something? <laughs> well, this, the, the crappy dialogue earlier, it said sea monsters with the first movie, aliens, the second movie, demons, maybe that's the next one, I don't know. But Nazi demons sounds cool. 
What if it's like Wolverine from? I mean, because you know he's in World War II in the uh, X Men Origins film. You see him in Sabretooth like murdering Japanese soldiers. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's like that, but Nazis. Well, I mean, uh, or that Origins could be a Cloverfield. A ripple opened up and yeah. they made mutants. Which, which is better, X Men Origins or uh, Cloverfield oh, Paradox? <laughs> Jeez. That or Bullet. I mean, like if you're given if you're given a choice, uh, Russian Roulette. Dude, they're both the worst. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I, I, it, I it does give me a little. First of all, the fact that they've said, "Okay, this one is going to go theatrical," makes me really realize they knew they knew how much of a stinker this was. You know that they're like, "Yeah, that one sucked," but I think this one's good enough to go theatrical. I I think. They knew, and I've even read uh, like some people say that Abrams has been so busy with the new Star Wars that he um, really didn't get enough time uh, to advise with Paradox as he would have wanted, and maybe that's why it's such a goddamn train wreck. I don't know, but, um, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the next one holds, and I mean, I guess... People find out uh, uh, what we think when it comes out, but yeah, I mean, geez, I mean, the, it's a shame because the first two movies really are are quite good, I think, um, and this was just just wrong on so many levels, and and that ending shot of the Cloverfield monster is just such an awful, awful cheat. It it's like it's almost just a middle finger to the audience. It's just it's abysmal <laughs> like i said insert you know godzilla in that and then i mean my reaction would be the exact same like why and <laughs> i mean you can tell by looking at the teaser trailer where they're trying to sell you on this is going to explain everything which it barely does um to it just they nailed down a theatrical date and then a month later netflix just dumped it and then the next movie is going back to theatrical. I think they knew they had a, a mess on their hands. Um, and, I mean, Paramount, this they've already profited from this because it was such a high-stakes sale to Netflix. Um, but, yeah, it's not good. Somebody at Netflix uh, lost their job over it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like, if, if, you were, if you were the executive that were, was convinced to buy that movie by some, like, your sales guy or something... Would you be mad at him? Because I, I think he'd be fired. Well, I mean, now it's just going to languish in streaming hell for the rest of eternity. Um, <laughs> let it stay there. That's where it belongs. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope the fourth one is good. I really do. I mean, the first two are so Supernatural good. Supernatural zombies during World War II. Like, I love World War II films. I'm cool with zombie movies. Like, I, I'm I'm totally down with the idea. The fact that like, are they going to try to somehow hamstring Cloverfield monster stuff? I mean, like, is that going to be the thing that kills it? They need to ditch it. They do. They need to ditch it. And, um, I mean, we, we'll know in October, but... I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of excited for Cloverfield of the Dead. <laughs> I don't know what about you. <laughs> yeah, hey, it has a strong premise, but Paradox, I mean, I thought we were building to a cool multiverse movie. Instead, we just got a bunch of lip service and people repairing ships 
for the whole movie. But dude, we do have a sentient hand. We have exploding worm guy. I mean, it's not you know. There's there's some. Yeah, I mean, at <laughs> any point in that when we were doing that synopsis, did you think this sounds a lot like Event Horizon? Uh, you would be right. <laughs> and uh, just go watch Event Horizon instead. Agree. So there's one thing this movie did. It's made me want to watch Event Horizon again, which I haven't seen forever. So uh, I guess yay. But um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll see where the fourth one is. I will say, Matt, that um, our precious genre uh, is fighting an uphill battle this year. Um, so Toho Godzilla uh, is has underwhelmed and is expected to continue underwhelming, although I think we would love nothing but to be proven wrong. Uh, Please, Clo- Anime Godzilla number two, just just be good. Yeah, Be uh, serviceable, even. So Toho Godzilla uh, is sucking. Uh, Cloverfield has been run into the ground with this last movie. It's sucking. Um, I hope Pacific Rim is good. I am not too excited about it from what I've seen. Uh, Rampage looks bad, but I'm praying to God it can just be dumb fun. Uh, what's going on with our, our beloved kaiju genre right now? I mean, Godzilla and Cloverfield have already shit the bed. Uh, we got, you know, <laughs> Pacific Rim. Uh, I'm, Pacific Rim 2, I don't have high hopes for, but if if it, if I come out feeling like, hey, that was fun, I feel like that's a win. But it looks very transformers-y and i don't think that's a good thing for that because the first film is gorgeous and this film looks like a a asylum i I feel like so many of the things del toro intentionally did to make the first one what it was are like kind of being ignored but i don't know we'll see but I, i i yeah i will say um if you told me that godzilla toho godzilla legendary godzilla cloverfield pacific rim um, uh, Rampage finally getting a movie were all happening at once if you told me that like three years ago I probably would have died of joy uh, <laughs> and, but the sad fact of the matter is the only one I'm legitimately looking forward to and I'm like happy about is the legendary Godzilla I mean t- everything else is pooping all over right now and I'm I'm you know what I'm sort of I'm sort of excited for Rampage not because I think it's going to be good but because like it just it looks like dumb fun whereas Pacific Rim two has some big shoes to fill because the first film I think is really good yeah well, we'll we'll see man but I mean Godzilla and Cloverfield really did us wrong and I know that for the love of God can our <laughs> can our can can our genre please go back up you know you could literally take the ending from the godzilla anime and put it at the ending of cloverfield paradox and it's the same movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah really (laughs) uh and and they're they're both netflix movies oh fuck you netflix (laughs) what is netflix trying to do to us they're trying to make you go to hulu i guess i don't um so i don't know uh we'll uh well uh the rest of march we will be it's Pacific Rim Month, uh, so we'll have a lot of cool stuff uh, for for people to look forward to, and I'm I'm excited the, to at least be doing the podcasts. Um, so you'll have that to look forward to. Uh, Cloverfield, we we had to get out to you guys a little late, but you know, better late than never. And uh, there is hope for Overlord, and but we'll have to wait till October to see how that goes. <sighs> All right, Matt, you good here? 
<sighs> as good as I will ever be. Uh, have a good night. Thanks for listening. And uh, all right, that's all I got. All right. <laughs> Bye.